John here from the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm here to talk to y'all for a second about the Anchor app. Are you looking for a podcast application that performs? What about one that's free? What about one that distributes all of your podcasts to all of the major listening platforms? Well, look no further. The Anchor app can be found at anchor.fm. The Anchor app is a podcast platform that is user-friendly, and like previously stated, it's free to use. The app has been so important to us for editing out our glitches uh, due to connection errors. It's a, it can also be used on your phone. It's a fantastic application. We use it for all of our podcasts. Go ahead and head on over to anchor.fm and download the app today and get started on your podcast journey. And welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing. I am John Morris, along with Brian Keachley, and our guest today is Catherine Williamson. Catherine, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. Fantastic. So, uh, so Catherine, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, John. (laughs) You lead it off. So I was just going to say, um, we, we've spoken on Instagram. That's kind of where we all linked up, uh, to make this happen. Uh, your page is phenomenal. You do a lot of really awesome stuff. And I I just want to express our gratitude for coming on to the show with us. So thank you for that. Thank you for inviting me. I feel like it is a little community on Instagram. So it's nice to looking at everyone and putting really a face to a name. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, seeing what you're doing and, and out and about and all that good stuff, uh, you know, it's so cool because when I got a chance to really look at your Instagram page and Instagram stock you and do all this other stuff. I, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, she's, she's out looking at, you know, your, your name obviously on there is lady shed hunter. So I was like, okay, so she's into hunting sheds. And then you sent us a, a, a like a, a comment on something. I think it had to do with uh, shad fishing. I, th- I believe is what it was. I, I think I'd put up a picture of a shad or something. You're like, Hey, what are you using? And, and uh, John says, oh, I'm sure that Brian's using this and this and this. And I think I popped in and I responded back. So it ended up with like multiple responses on what we were doing. But then it was like, well, this is <laughs> this is cool. So uh, and I start looking at your page and, and the page is like, you know, you're out shed hunting, you're fishing, you're doing a lot of stuff with your family and everything else. And uh, it, it was like, man, she's doing everything outdoors. You know, how how did you get started with that? <laughs> I think I got started after my son got a little older because I think anyone who has kids, right, you have that age where, you know, they're more dependent on you, you know, I mean, and they want to stay closer to you. And I totally get that, you know, but I think as he got older and he's eight now, I realized, you know, I I don't want to say you have more free time, right? but, you know, I realized that I needed to, you know, step back a little bit and let him come forward and also we had just bought a house and it was literally across the street from a strip mall but it's right by the Delaware and Merritt Canal in New Jersey 
So there was a, literally a lot to do, you know, that, and when I first started shot hunting, I'd be looking out my window and, you know, seeing the deer go by. And it was, you know, it's a little, what's that word? It's disconcerting to, you know, to see them watching you over the wall, like when you're refilling the bird feeder. And I'm like, hi, hi guys. And, you know, stay over there, you know. But it really, and I remember when I found my first shed, um, I was going through like a rough patch with my health, you know, and I, I remember saying to myself, dear God, this is pretty cool. If I could find the other one, I'm like, I'll thank you forever, you know, and I found the one. And then one of my friends at work was like, you know, shed hunting is a thing. And I'm like, really? And that started everything. I mean, I even to the point in my life where I wanted to, I realized I wanted to leave like an impact on things, right? I mean, I think when you have, not, when you, not just when you have kids, right? But I ended up getting it trademarked um, because I wanted to kind of show people, you know, what I like to do, how I like to do it. And also, and this is probably going to cliche, right? There's, everyone has that aha moment. And I was watching Meat Eater for the first time mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, my parents belonged to the Massachusetts Audubon. You know, they were very, very anti-hunting. And I, once I started watching media, right, that I realized, I didn't realize how much care people put into things. You know, and I ended up partnering with the local New Jersey Audubon. They they granted my wildlife savage license because in New Jersey it's very, very regimented in terms of I can't keep deadheads myself. You know, I can donate them and I started giving them to the bond and they even said to me you know they're like oh this is great you know you all the school you have the teeth are falling out of them because I got the kids like to hold the player of them and I literally came across this fully articulated skeleton of a, of a gorgeous buck and there was a flood and I finally found just the skull again so I started giving them things and it, it made me realize you know even when the hunters them they don't realize sometimes how interested the community is and and unfortunate where I live, right, that you have, you know, out unlimited, you have Orbis. I mean, there's a lot of kind of like high-end, well-recognized organizations, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, Princeton, New Jersey, you, know, you have the uh, university. It's a very wicked community. But at the same time, I felt like just for like someone who likes to explore in the backyard, you know, my degrees in biology, although I'm not using it at all right now. You know, I kind of realized it was like a little gap. You know, and my son was always interested in what I dragged home. The problem was I caught him one day with the deer antlers like this. And he's going to be a deer for Halloween. And I just had this image of him running through the neighborhood in the dark, like goring people. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I need to, <laughs> it was horrible. I was like, I need to figure out a way to be on my wall. So I think everything I've done, it was literally, you know, the bounty of nature and partly too like. I think a lot of us are very persistent about things, you know, and I'm the kind of person who will track that, you know, deer, you know, through the woods, picking ticks off me and along the way, you know, I think as a well-rounded outdoors woman, fishing, bird watching, you know, I'm horrible. Like I kind of look at it as, you know, if the fish aren't fighting, I'll be the kind of person to like, you know, my rod in. Then I'll go, you know, wandering through the woods. I've actually lost um, a nice um, carp rod that way. It fell out of my backpack somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, but I think that's how I got started in a very long-winded way. It was kind of like, what's out your window? And then you realize, oh, my God, there's awesome stuff out your window. You know, and it's kind of like, how open-minded do you want to be? And I also have a very supportive husband and very supportive son. 
I mean, my husband's not as outdoorsy as I am, but you know, he's, he's more than happy, you know, to sit with my son, you know, because I mean, an eight-year-old has a lot of patience, you know, but only to a degree, you know, and I've even said to him very gently, I'm like, Johnny, places I go, like, as an adult, I'm willing to take the risk, you know, but for him, you know, I'd rather him, you know, catch a small bluegill, I guess, like even the, you know, seven or eight inch ones, right, that will eat anything, yeah. you know, to your point, Brian, you know, a small child reeling that in. I just had this image of him, like, in the fish going down the canal. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe mommy will take this one, you know. No, that's... No, that... Go ahead, John. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. That, that Thanks for sharing that. No, that's... You know, I've, I've got an eight-year-old myself, and he he lacks the patience <laughs> to get out there and really he loves nature and he loves the outdoors but he hasn't acquired that patience quite yet for fishing i'm not sure he ever will but um that's just really cool it, it's awesome that you got a good support channel there in the household that's awesome yeah we have a lot we have a lot of fun and i think especially with um covid and the pandemic i think you really get curious to see what else is out there and what other people are doing. And I'll be honest, I'm just that nosy kind of thing too, right? If I see, <laughs> you know, if I see something going on, I'm like, oh, what you using? You know, I've, it's kind of hard right? when, you know, we're all inside, you know? So I think Instagram has become a perfect way to be nosy. I mean, it's a funny little community, right? But I think a lot of the people I've met have really been, to your point, like responding to a post or, and, I mean, not everyone is as open, right? But I said to my husband once, you know, because I'll get with so many pictures and I Instagram and Facebook will, you know, flag them as questionable content. They've always been like deadheads, antlers, skulls, you know, fish. <laughs> Instagram's like graphic, graphic. Do you want to click on it? I'm like, yep. And I said to my husband, I'm like, I'll get another deadhead. <laughs> He's like, people are sending you your parts. I'm like, I'm like, yep. <laughs> but I think too, you know, you have to be, on the back end right like you have to be willing to you know have those conversations I mean I just was recently nominated to the board of my little local um trout unlimited chapter and oh cool I ran into the president you go out fishing and it was hysterical I have a picture of him like it was like freezing cold you know it had just opened up I think it was last year and everyone was just desperate to get out there but we were trying to keep our distance and I remember I was like he was like, well, what do you do? He's like, you need a sinker. I'm like, what? He's like, you need a sinker. <laughs> so now we're inching along the banks of the river. I mean, it was like if Monty Python goes fishing. I mean, <laughs> my local child unlimited is like, it, 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 he literally showed up when I met him like last, at the beginning of this month for the shaft picnic. He has this, he drives this like Volkswagen Vanagon or whatever the, it looks like a Scooby-Doo mobile. And when he honks it, it's like, eh, eh. and I was like, oh my God, that is not my Trout Unlimited chapter man. And it was, and I pull up and he's like, hey, Catherine. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be accessible, because we talked about this too, when he he asked me about, he, I wanted to, you know, have my name thrown up for, you know, a spot of the board. I even said to him, I was like, look, dude, I was like, I haven't gotten my spot right out yet. I've been so busy, you know, using cicadas as live bait and spin fishing. 
but he said to me, he said, but that's the thing. He was like, especially with Trout Unlimited, it's a lot of people think it's just about trout and it's just about fly fishing. He's like, it really isn't. He's like, it's really about keeping the waterways and keeping, keeping the banks accessible to everyone. I mean, and I think that's important too, because like, I remember the Audubon, I remember Trout Unlimited. Um, there's a lot of things out there, I think on both sides, not just from, you know, the general citizens, but members of these organizations, you kind of have to be open to both ideas. I mean, and I think that's what makes Instagram unique because, you know, I fly fish, I try to fly time, nowhere as good as God, you know, but a lot of what I do, I realize you have to be holistic about it, you know, I think, and that's what the president said. He said, I'd rather someone go out fish, you know, than just not go out at all. He's like, I don't really care what people do. It would be nice if they fly. Because our trout unlimited chapter is um, Ernest Schwieber, and he was like the king of like um, East Coast fly fishing. And if you read some of the comments on Facebook, they said he was a very humble man. I guess there was some conference that someone was at, and they had like everyone up on the podium, and he was sitting in the back of everyone else. He's like, "You want to come up?" He's like, "Oh no, no, I want to just sit back here." I mean, it's, I think that's a good way to look at it too, right? Like, it, he, I think he was just happy that people were out doing things. I mean. Now, Trout Unlimited, they do a lot of things at a, I guess, um, a national level, the Pebble Mine. I mean, it's good that they can flex their clout, but I think people, oh, I think people forget. Sorry. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> that there's other things to do out there. Like, it was your cat. She was trying, that? yeah, she's trying to get this. <laughs> I've got some furnace hackles up here for some mats. <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah I, that again that's the dangers right like i every now and then i'll i'll be trying to pose my antlers and like you you sometimes you see my cat because she'll be like what should you do it no no gently push her back and you know she'll not so gently come forward and or I, i'm trying to tie something and i've dropped bobbins or threads and you hear them go, and the cat's like party time and I'm like please don't do that you know that's the risk right of like having pets I mean they're you know although every now and then I've wanted to look I've looked at her and you know to our earlier point I've looked at her beautiful gray coat and I was like honey maybe I could you know use some of that for dubbing you know <laughs> I mean I've heard of people going and I'll go off on a tangent here one of um the fly tires in my area the local pond that he fishes at the kids feed um the fish Cheerio. So he literally had tied a little tiny um, fly shaped like a Cheerio. And he said it worked perfectly. <laughs> and he's like, mash the hatch. I'm like, Bart, Cheerios come out of a box. But I'm like, you know what? It's okay. <laughs> and he said, like, he just is casting his little Cheerio fly getting these bluegills. And I was like, you know, way to, way to upcycle things. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you use the General Mills uh, nymph, I guess, is what you could call it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if I see him, I'll tell him that. I'm really like, General Mills ain't got nothing on you. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you never know. Pinfish are they're vicious little guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like they'll eat anything. Like I literally, because we're right in the middle of like the Budapest hatch, you know, and. I, I, I take the six fishing, you know, I've been testing them out on different little hooks, you know, I've actually thrown in empty hooks by accident, they, they'll go after them, I mean, it's amazing what fish will do, I've gotten a catfish, I've gotten a little pickle, I mean, 
I always wanted to know, you know, conservation end. I, I'd love to know if the fish get bigger every 17 years because the amount of food out there is insane. And they're, they're just at the point now where the kids are starting to die off. But for a while, they were not eating the dead ones. So I was literally, you know, I feel them land on me. I just grab it, hook it, you know, hook back out there. And I, you know, find this, you know, one that was deceased and I throw it out there and you literally see the fish. No, was, no one was, you know, attacking it, but you see them circling it. I'm like, come on, dude. I'm like, it, it's perfectly fine. You know, I just died today. And they were like, um, <laughs> we want the live ones. And I'm like, I, I can't help you here, buddy. But I mean, and cicadas, like, they're, I mean, they're good size. I mean, I don't. I don't think you have them, but it's a bit disconcerting if you're lying in bed at night and you hear them hit the house, like you go, dunk, dunk. And my husband's like, 17 years from now, it won't happen again for 17 years. You know, <laughs> you go outside, they're laying down, you know, and my cat, well, we used to carry them in on us, not knowing it. And my cat would get all excited and she tried to eat it. And I was like, thank you so much for that cicada. Can I? Can I, can I have it back, please? Thank you so much. And the cicadas, like, just kill me or, you know, <laughs> let me go. But, you know, you know, cats, you know, she's yeah. playing with it. You know, it's drooled on, its wings are crooked, and its, its eyes are bulging even more. So I've been letting them go. But I mean, it's interesting, like, even the uh, it, watching them go after the the fish go after the cicadas, you know, for a while, depending on where we were, the cicadas were coming in waves. So the cicadas were close, like where we are on the canal, there's a lot more overhanging vegetation. So the cicadas were falling, I guess, into the water fast and they were around some of the big lakes. So it was kind of neat to like come out one weekend and, you know, I'm throwing everything I can, including cicadas and the fish, they're like, I don't know what this is, you know, come back, you know, the weekend after. They're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I mean, it, it's pretty neat. I've even started teasing them because, you know, I feel bad fishing in winter. You know, I want them to get something, you know. So I was like, you know, I just have my little, I don't know, Ziplocs of frozen cicadas. You know, I want to do a little experiment in the fall. And see what happens. I mean, I know for my husband, he was like, where are all the Tupperwares going? I'm like, he's like, and he's like, he's like, is there cicadas in there? So I actually had to get some more containers on Amazon because i felt bad <laughs> no that that that's an interesting um issue there because uh i'm sure that uh john and i's uh, wives would both tell you that uh more of the the kitchen where well maybe my wife i don't know about john i don't want to speak for him but my wife will be like didn't we have some uh like uh those little ziploc containers that, that i thought we had more of them and then she goes out there she's <laughs> like why are you using these for this or that I'll be like, well, it looked all nasty and scratched up. So I'm curing eggs in this one. And I got shrimp in this one, you know, for, for fishing. And, and she'll be like, all right, whatever, you know? And so she kind of gives up on it at a certain point, you know, cause she'll go get in the bait fridge and she'll be like, what is going on here? You know, cause I'll, I'll have like, uh, I'll have, uh, um, some, some, uh, prawns died in there or something like that. And, and then I'll have uh, some cured steel head eggs and another one. And, and she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm making bait. And she was like, well, I'm glad that you're making bait. Can you get like, go get a special thing? I'm like, why am I going to go down to the fishing store and pay like six times more? <laughs> Cause it's a Plano brand or what, you know, whoever. 
when I could just go and get the Ziploc brand, throw it in there. And if it gets broken and nasty down on the river, I'll throw it in the garbage can. It's done. Uh, so it's kind of funny. Like you're, you're out collecting bugs and putting the bugs in, in, in your uh, uh, kitchenware where, where mostly that's, that's like one of those things where it's like the, the reverse role, your husband's like, where, what's happening to all of our Tupperware? And you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but uh so, something that, chill. I mean, oh that's cool though i mean you know I, I think anybody can appreciate that you know especially uh when you have a family that's out and you're fishing and you're you know doing that kind of thing but but something you said earlier that kind of piqued my curiosity because out west here uh tu is is uh uh is fairly involved with like uh habitat restoration and stream bank enhancement things like that but TU uh, out West here, commonly, you know, we talk about stereotypes and, you know, all this other stuff. And you, you mentioned that TU is often thought about as being like a, uh, a fly fishing only club for the, like the, the uh, elite angler that, that is all about fly fishing, catch and release, all this other stuff. Uh, but, but you touched on that, that your, your TU chapter and you're speaking to your local TU chapter sounds to me like they're they're pretty all-inclusive welcoming uh group of folks uh what's been your experience with tu uh, uh obviously being uh elected to the the board there and everything else i i'm curious to know you know what's your experience with trout unlimited there i mean i i, I joined it recently because we have um a very well-known fly tire Bart Lombardo he's on he's on Instagram as Panfish on the fly and he I met him actually at my local Orvis store and he was pretty easygoing I mean I used to do a lot of spin fishing before my my wrist gave out and I would tie my own jigs and I still do and I was running out of hooks and I remember I kind of stomped into Orvis you know I had my little little pack on and I, and they they all got excited like oh I was like I need some hooks and they were like oh well what do you do and I was like well I mean, the, a lot of the people in my store, I think maybe because of College Town, it's, it's, it's a very wealthy community, but it is, it is fairly diverse. I think they're, they're relatively used to people coming in, but someone like me, I think just randomly coming in, like I literally will come in and be like, I need hooks. You know, they, I think it's mostly clothes. And then there is, you know, everyday fishermen. And then there's me. I mean, I found them pretty easygoing. I mean, they were starting to um, sell ten carol rods. I think even TU understands that they kind of do need to reach out. Because, I mean, when I was nominated, I was talking to the president. He said, we really want to bring more women into fishing. I mean, we really want to get more people out there. I mean, it's a good conservation organization. I mean, but I think, too, it's not, if you're looking for, I think sometimes the fly fishing book of it probably puts people off because fly fishing is very technique oriented. I mean, I'm still an awful caster, you know, I'm getting better, but I think a lot of the knowledge of fishing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You can see me. And I'm like getting it out of the tree. You know, my back cast is like all the way. Like, oh, I mean, no, like my wrist yeah. Is. We, we all hook trees. Don't worry yeah. about it. I still hook tons of trees. So yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in good company here. <laughs> I mean, I, Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like TU a lot. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting experience, but again, I get, for us, it's, I think out West, because of the wide open spaces, it, I do think it's probably more of a presence versus on the East Coast. I mean, you have like, there are trout fishing schools and up in Vermont where it started, you know, but where I am, it's, it's pretty chill. I mean, I think New Jersey is an odd little place where we have like fly fishing show. I went there last 
last spring, two springs ago. I mean, but I do get a sense that a lot of organizations out there want to become more diverse. I mean, I was on Instagram, I discovered Hunters of Color. I mean, that's another great group there as well. I mean, just as a woman and a person of color, you know, get I said to my husband once, I'm like, I'm sure all the guys out there fishing don't get asked as many times as I do. Hey, what are you catching? <laughs> I don't think people are just used to seeing women out fishing, you know, especially, you know, as my husband said, you know, he's like, well, you, you're catching things every day, you know, or, or lady shed hunters or that kind of thing. Who do you do it? And I don't, that's why I said to myself too, going back to how I got started, I was like, if I have an opportunity to kind of show people that, you know, not just men do this, you know, but women do this, women of color. I kind of was like, you know what? I'm already doing it anyway. You know, if I can get myself out there and learn a lot more and make myself a better hunter, a better fisherwoman, I mean, I'm all for it. And the TU by me, you know, they also fish along the same fishing grounds as I do. So every now and then I'll run into people. And that's actually how I've met most of my, the TU members is randomly fishing. So they're very, they're very active. They've even, but they've even said to me too, you know, it's a, they want to make sure that they are more inclusive. And also, you know, if we even think about technology, right, you know, with social media, they want to kind of revitalize the platform and bring more people in. And when I met the president, he was like, I thought of you immediately. He was like, because, you know, you're out there all the time, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, we need to be more inclusive to women. So I think for them, if you're receptive to it on the other end as well, like, and I don't want to say it's a changing of the guard, although it kind of is, right? But I, I think that it's the world is very diverse. And, and I do feel like a lot of organizations are, I don't want to say they're just realizing it, but too, right? Like they haven't, they haven't maybe done a different kind of outreach before, especially with the new media platforms that they're trying to get on. So that, I mean, I don't mind talking about my chapter a lot, but it's kind of like to me, I was, it was easy for me to come into it because I was already out there in a lot of the waters. I'm already familiar with it. I mean, I think if I wasn't, if they had come to me two years ago when I had really just started doing a lot of this stuff, I probably wouldn't have been as receptive, but, you know, coming to me now and saying, Hey, you know, two years later, you know, would you like to join, you know, and two years later, feeling more determined to, you know, make the world a better place. You know, I was like, I know why not, you know, but again, I think it's, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for people. And I think two organizations, they've even, they've even said like, you know, we always need volunteers, but how do you get volunteers? You know, I almost feel like you're competing for a pool of applicants that, you know, might be big, but with the advent of social media, right? Like everyone might want Brian on their podcast, right? But you know, how, how does one get Brian? How does one get Sean? You know, I think it's just a balancing act. You know, you don't want to overwhelm people or underwhelm them. But at the same time, I think there has to be that desire to to change, to be more inclusive. And I know my little local to you, you know, is very is very focused on changing. Yeah, well, and and I think uh, probably one of those other things, and maybe John, you can you can uh, jump in here too. John and I, like I said, we've always talked about like that that inclusion part, and I that's that's a very important phrase term word to use is the inclusion aspect of uh you know in, in our case here talking about fishing because i believe that the fishing and this is just my personal opinion 
I believe fishing is one of the very few activities that anybody and everybody can access and, and enjoy, whether you are brand new to it or very experienced. And I think that the idea that, that it's, uh, you know, a, a particular fishing style is only uh, for a certain uh, demographic or, or sex or race or, you know, origin of people is absolutely ridiculous. And, and I don't think that you see a lot of that in fishing. I, I don't believe that that's something that you see a lot of in fishing. I don't think that, you know, the popular parts of society uh, exclude, uh, uh, you know, in, in respect to fishing. Obviously, uh, fishing is uh, one of those uh, early, early hunter-gatherer uh, type activities because humans as, as a whole, as a species, have been fishing for a long time uh, through different methods. And I believe that that's something that, uh, universally uh, th that that's there only until recently though in the advent of different types of fishing gear has it become exclusionary and that's the bizarre part to me because uh, you know that it, it seems to have uh, been more grouped into this um, uh, little little uh, niche of like the, this certain you know group of people and all this other stuff so it's so all name it claim it because I don't care who I make mad right uh the, this group of men that get together and they drink beer and they go fishing with their buddies and uh, it's to leave the wives at home and not do anything else but you know <laughs> be out there you know uh, that that to me that that has went away and I believe that it's become more accessible but as you said uh, a lot of these other groups of, of folks that are out there they they uh they still tend to have kind of that exclusionary feel although they haven't articulated that they are open and inclusive and so i think it's really important that uh that, that you're you're spearheading that but john you got anything to add to that you know just yeah i think it's really awesome and i i think in inclusion is probably probably the best term for that just you know, it, coming from the South, yeah, we we do have a lot of, you know, female anglers. And I, I'm, uh, I'm not trying to miss, misspeak here. I don't, I don't talk about this a lot. I think about it a lot. I don't talk about it a lot. So forgive me if I don't articulate this very well. Um, there's just not a lot of women or female anglers uh, here in the South. Now, um, there are some and there are some that are quite famous, but uh, when, you know, for the longest time when I thought fishing, it, it was, it was just, you know, just these old guys out there on the lakes and rivers. And I think now as getting back into fishing as strongly as I have, um, we're, we're getting a lot more women involved, I believe, or more to my knowledge, maybe Instagram has made it more apparent to me that, there are just so many more women getting involved in fishing. And I think that's, that's excellent. And people of color, um, it, it's, it, it's fantastic that it, one of, you know, one of the things Brian and I talk about is this, this stigma that's there for fishing and we're, we're all about opening up and just completely breaking that stigma because fishing is for everyone. And I, I think you and your tribe unlimited and a lot of other great folks are really showing it to everyone that this is for everyone and everyone can enjoy this so 
Oh, I agree. And I think it's important to do that, right? I mean, because you, I feel like the more people out on the water, the better too. And to steal, to steal like what a paraphrase Steve Vanilla for me to do, right? Some of the best advocates for, you know, keeping everything open and keeping it clean are really the men and women who use it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're out there day to day, right, you probably have a better, a better eye on things, right? If there's an invasive species coming in or if there's, you know, someone, you know, trusting badly, <laughs> you know, causing a lot of damage. I mean, every now and then, you know, I default from being altruistic about it, you know, because to me, again, as, as a woman and as a person of color, diversity is very important, you know, it's, but if to be, to be, to look at it this way, like, you know, the world is not just one shade, the world is many shades, right? The world is very different, you know, and it's, and also to me, right, if I step back and say, we need to be more diverse, we need to save the planet, you, one way to look at it too is the more people involved to me, the better, you know, the, uh, the more eyes you have out there, the better, the more people who see the day-to-day, on the water, you know, we can help out. I mean, some people do need to see the, I don't want to say the what's in it for me, but I do think a lot of people are like, well, what's in it for me? You know, this, this has worked for so long, you know, for me, this is, this is kind of how two point, how it's been seen, how it's been marketed to, you know, we you change it. And my, my default would be, you know, look, if you want to keep that little river clean, you know, if you want to keep it free, you know, if you want to keep it accessible, you need more people in the river. <laughs> I mean, I think every now and then when you're confronted with that situation, right? Like, I don't want to say altruism is the way to go because I think we should do it not just because, but because the world is different. But I think sometimes you have to, some people do have to be convinced with what's in it for me. And, you know, that's why I even say say to people like, you know, want to keep that little river nice and clean, you know, do you want to have a bridge going through it? You know, how are you going to do that, you know? And I think at the end of the day, it's a win. It's a win-win for everyone, right? I mean, you see, I would rather have more people out there than less, you know. And I do think too, it's probably a general thing, right? Like, and I think as with as the advent of social media comes on, I think yes, it has been more accessible. I mean, my 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 family and I'm adopted. My family in South Korea were fishermen. My father and my father was a commercial fisherman, you know. But my family here in the states, like you know they were they were um backyard explorers you know audubon members but they really weren't fishing and hunting so this is kind of something i self-taught myself along the way you know so i don't want things to die out either right you know so at the same time you know i'd rather keep it alive you know and pass the torch on to someone else you know regardless of you know race creed gender location whatever i i personally would rather keep it going just because i don't want to lose things versus keeping it so tight, I think too, that probably has helped shift people's mind as well, right? Like the world is only so big, you know, if you want to keep that nice little pond open, you know, you got to, to me, you got to let other people into it, you know, not just because it's the right thing to do, you know, but if you want, you need more people to help you fight for keeping space accessible. And I mean, on the West Coast and maybe down in the South where it's more rural, I think even that sprawl or that accessibility might be less of a big deal, but around her, right? It's, it's so close, you know, it's so narrow, you know, that's why, you know, I have like, you know, great shed hunting ground <laughs> across the street by the strip mall because our, 
our land is getting so fragmented, you know. I mean, that's one thing that's always boggled me, right? Let's go out west. It's just this, you know, huge open space. I mean, I was talking to um, Dragon Tail and Tenkara, and that's where most of my little Tenkara routes come from. And they said something funny to me. Brandon said that um, most of the people who buy the rods, there's a big East Coast clientele, you know, like me. And he said, you know, it's odd because the West Coast has more to, more space. You know, that's why I think fly fishing might be seen as a West Coast thing because you need a lot of space for that back cast, you know, versus spinning, you know, or um, spin casting, you know, you can pretty much go straight forward. But he's like, East Coast people love Tenkara. And I was like, well, I was like, well, yeah, our, our streams are so small. Like a 12 foot rod, I could probably poke someone's eye out on the other side of the water. Uh, and I kid you not, right? Like, but I think on the East Coast, right, I think people are, people are willing to spend their time, you know, because it's, I feel like it's just so much hard fought, so much more hard fought, right? Like a lot of urban mm-hmm. cities, you know, Boston, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts. You know, that it, it used to be nasty, right? You know, and they've done because of all the old manufacturing, we tried to clean it up so much. Like I think on the East Coast, it's kind of more apparent because it's just so much more tightly focused where West Coast, I think you still have that space and you don't see maybe that, that impact of sprawl and um, fragmentation as much. Well, uh, one thing, uh, you know, just to kind of uh, talk about the, the accessibility, right? Because there's, the, there's another element to accessibility besides, you know, the demographic and all that. And that's actually like available places to fish. Um, yeah, here, mm-hmm. here in the West, uh, things are massive. They're big. The rivers are big. The, the land expanse is big. Your travel to a lot of those uh, locations uh, is fairly significant. Uh, a lot of times uh, being able to, to be successful as an angler here, uh, you have to have a boat because the rivers are so massive. You can spend eight hours on a river floating, I don't know, 15 miles, just fishing every square inch of that. And, and you know, for some people that's like, well, that's, that's insane that, that you could, you know, fish that river for that long, but it's because the rivers are so large and there's so many different areas in, in the, geo- the, the geology and, the, and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I think you touched on something really important there. Uh, and, and that was limited accessibility and, and limited, uh, availability of space, uh, and, and, uh, something that seems to be a commonplace occurrence on the East coast is, uh, that, that more and more urban sprawl and more and more uh, development of stream bank, bank habitat is really taking away from a lot of those available uh, natural resources. Obviously, you're, you're shed hunting behind a strip mall. We, in the West, that's, that's such a foreign, <laughs> that, 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 that would be so foreign for us. Uh, in order to effectively hunt for sheds, if I want to go hunt for sheds, I have to drive two hours up over a mountain range into the high desert where I have a pretty good idea where there might be some deer and then you'll be lucky to see one or two people in an entire day maybe maybe a handful in a week and you're literally out there by yourself getting circled by turkey vultures that's that's where we go hunt for sheds so (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things you know you're like you're like huh um 
you're going, you're going out back where they might have a golden corral and, and finding sheds, you know, and, and, and there's nothing even <laughs> remotely close to that around here. So, uh, the, the challenges that, that you're facing, like, like, uh, trying to keep that, that there, uh, how, how does that play into that whole culture there uh, in your area? Because when, when somebody says New Jersey and, and granted I've watched meat eater, I, I watched Steve Ranella and all those guys, they went out and they were hunting coos deer, I believe, or something out in a swamp in New Jersey or mm -hmm. something like that. Anyways, <laughs> It just doesn't, when somebody says New Jersey and outdoors, it just does not coincide. That, that, <laughs> that, that just does not mesh for me. When, when, when John talks about Tennessee and the outdoors, I'm like, yeah, okay. I can get that Texas, Louisiana, <laughs> Arkansas. I can get that, but just overall. You're like culture. New Jersey. Oh my God. Yeah. Somebody's like, oh, New Jersey and fishing. I'm like, what's there? You know, even Maryland, like Maryland, I think of blue crabs. I think of striped bass. I think of you know, American shad and everything else. Yeah. It, it, but I don't, I don't think of New Jersey as being a place where it's like, I I'm going to go to, I'm going to fly into Newark and I'm going to go and do some fly fishing in New Jersey. That's like the last place. So culturally speaking, you know, <laughs> I, I get it. No, I do. I mean, I think one reason why New Jersey isn't, we don't have Unless I, and I have an inflatable kayak that literally looks like a glorified pool float, right? You know, and, let, and, and literally, because it's such a, we're right in the middle of the Delaware River Basin, and I, where I live in specifically, we have a, a lot of man-made canals and locks. There's a lot of smaller water. I mean, we do have Lake Carnegie, which is used by the University of Princeton for rowing. But the locks around here are unique. I mean, I've literally seen pictures of, you know, horses pulling barges, you know, up these tiny little towpaths. So there's a lot of mid waterways. They're very small, and I. But I feel like you're not gonna, you're not gonna get record record breaking fish, right? I think the record breaking panfish came out. I think like from in Nevada or something, right? I mean, there just isn't. Yeah. I mean, New Jersey is seasonal. I mean, John, what was it like? Harvest. Lake, Lake, so anyway, uh, like, Havasu. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a yeah. huge one. Yeah. And I look at that and I'd be like, wow, that is, if I'm lucky, right, well, I'll get a foot long bass, you know, after, you know, you know, getting stuck away, right? I mean, New Jersey does stock, but it's, we don't, because of the climate, because of the location, we don't get the record breakers. But I feel like it, because it's such a small state and you have these pockets of, of, hard-fought wildlife sanctuaries and preserves. Like, they, uh, we have a lot of organizations in parts of central New Jersey who have really worked hard to keep it green. And also, I'll be honest, you're not going to be able to dam up a canal. You know, they're, they're pretty deep. You know, some of them actually have very strong currents, you know. So kind of like, it's, le it's been left the way it is by default. So I think New Jersey is kind of like a hidden gem because you can fly fish here, right? You have enough man-made, you know, I think if you head out west, you have a lot by the Poconos, which is where we've been, you literally have like three foot long striped bass. Like you do, you feel on the shore, you have massive striped bass. I mean, but it's, a, to a point, it's very small. It's not, it's not being record breaking, but I think in some ways the accessibility of it is great. I mean, hunting the same, like you're not going to, I think New Jersey's ranked at like maybe, I don't know, like the 
30th date for like bucks because like they're gonna get hit by a you know a car you know it's just harder for them to get big and to stay big you know I mean but I think New Jersey is kind of like overlooked spot for recreation in part because it's so small like I don't I really I love a boat but I don't need a boat you know I don't even need waiters you know I do have my waiters out to go you know if I wanted to use them, you know, but where I am at Lily's, go across the street, you know, and ticks and get, you know, deer antlers or, you know, Lily, go across the street the other way, you know, dodge golf balls and you can be right in the canal. That's where I think, I think the West Coast, right? I think it would just blow my mind because I'm just so used to being able to go out the door with my rod. Like I keep my fishing rod in my car and just go fishing. And, mm-hmm. you know, every now and then, like some people on TV are like, oh, you should go to like so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm like, but why? <laughs> like, I can walk across the street and get, you know, get like at least, you know, a ton of eight inch bluegills, you know, or, you know, and kind of, you know, slip and slide down the banks and follow my ass a couple of times and get, you know, my 14 inch, you know, bass, which I don't recommend, by the way, my, my hand was still numb. Um, that's why I think it would be great for me to go at Western Sea. But to your point, I think when people think of New Jersey, they're like, oh, Newark. <laughs> oh, it's gross and dirty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is. It's very urban. Yeah. It's just an odd place. But one of the mediator guys, uh, Joe Simelli, he actually grew up around here. He actually sent me to this random fishing spot, you know. So I think even in New Jersey itself, right, it's kind of like this best kept fit. And I think that's why the people I tend to run into, they're, you know, they're very happy to talk to you. You know, I ran into some guys during trout season opening um, and they were like, oh, we were hoping you were coming over because we don't see too many women fishing, you know, but most people around here, like, you know, they know their stuff. They were like, yeah, the trout are going to start here because they're stuck. Then they go up to Lockingston and then they disperse. You know, I think there's a lot of people who fish around here, but they've done it for so long. It's kind of like, um, backhand not where it's someone like me I'm like I'm like please tell me more where did you go when did you go I'm like what did you use what pounds line did you use was it morning yeah. <laughs> all valid you know? questions all I totally mean, valid I know and I'm and I'll be the one like hey you know and I'll be happy to sit and talk and I think a lot of people around here are willing if someone asks me seriously and you know I've been hit on I've been propositioned like being a female <laughs> angler I think does have its upsides and downsides and everything I mean my husband even said to me you know he's always worried I'm gonna get hurt when I'm out shed hunting and I said to him you know I have my onyx hunt map now and I was like look I'm like I'll be usually one or two places but I said to him once I said you know as a woman you know I said I'm more worried about people interactions you know than animal interactions you know and I said to him I'm like I can see people across the canal I'm like I can yell at them you know but I think as a woman it's just always something in the back of your mind so having this have this urban sprawl forcing these pockets of green space it's kind of like a double-edged sword right you know you're you're, Brian to your point your chances of human interaction where I am are you know you know if you ever want a quiet day on the water it's not gonna happen I've literally been fishing and people are like I swear I see my coworkers on the bed they're like blah 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 and I'm like it's my day off I'm like can we not talk about work my god you know but at the same time right you know you the negative people interactions you know unfortunately you know because the east coast is just so populated mm-hmm. that unfortunately goes well so uh, i'm going to backtrack just a little bit 
something you said, th- this might be too far back. Brian might kill me for this later, no, but no, no, no. Y- no. you said <laughs> you said you're small, Trout Unlimited. Um, it 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 may be small, but I I looked into your chapter today. And uh, it was, you know, it's named after Ernest uh, Schwiebert, which is uh, a fly fishing hall of fame inductee. He was one of the original founders of Trout Unlimited and, and your chapter was uh, inducted in 1974. Uh, but I found- I That's found... older than I am. <laughs> and uh, he, it's just really cool. You know, all this, uh, I was I was reading a lot about that and then uh, I got really interested in it. Uh, there's a lot of really rich history behind uh, Ernest's name. And I, I think it's it's fantastic that your chapter is named after a great American fly fisherman. It, 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 is, it is just really cool. I, I just wanted to share that. I, I did a little reading on your chapter today and it, it's, it's really cool. But uh, I you, mean, the you, president was a friend of his son, which I didn't realize until I met him either. It, he even said to me that was how he kind of got brought into Todd Unlimited uh, to one of his sons, Eric. And that was, I think on the Facebook page, you have like that quote from Eric talking about like what his dad would want to do. You know, he just wants you to go out fish. You know, he just wants to keep everything accessible and clean. I mean, I feel like on the East Coast, it, it's, it, is, it is old. It's a very old place, right? Especially on around here, right? So you have that knowledge artist, right? But I mean, he's a he's a brilliant man. Like, like his fly tying patterns, you know, he was really kind of to your point, he was like an all-around fisherman. But when I was digging through the Facebook page, they had some quotes from people who met him in person. He was really humble. Like he literally did not want to sit up on the stage. He's like, yeah, I'm going to sit back here for the rest of you. And he's like, why do I have to go up there? You know, I think I think that's important too, right? To be humble about things, you know, it, as much as you can be humble, right? Being part of a very old fly, you know, fly tying chapter. But I think for TU, my little T, my little TU, right? It, it is small, right? I think we don't have like, I know Bart Lombardo is on like the central New Jersey. Like we don't have a fly tire on it, like right? Like we were actually talking about, Stu was trying to figure out um, how to do like more fly tying classes, you know? So I kind of think of us as small because we don't really have, bigger names headlining, you know, our, our little chapter, right? And we, the fly fishing show up in Edison is pretty cool. I went there a couple of years ago and you have only a row of people tying flies. Like I met Britta Fordyce there, you know, she's um, ties for Rio. She made these fabulous little shrimps that I, I have yet to use because, you know, they're just too awesome. Um, you have Bart up there. And I even said to them, like, you know, when the fly fishing show comes back, you know, we're going to have a table, you know, but to me, I see it as small because member-wise it is small, but to your point, John, the history of it, 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 it is cool. I mean, we have um, Prince, like the um, Stu got the permission of the son and the estate to um, sell licensed copies of the Prince. I mean, it almost reminds me of um, John Audubon with the way he drew things and all that. It is, it yeah. is pretty neat, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were there at the picnic, right? And they were, they had, you know, they were, they had the prints out, you know, and then, you know, they, I, then we had the cicadas. It was kind of funny. You know? Then you have, you know, 
evil prince, right? You know, song of anything. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I think Ernest would be happy to be in that Volkswagen band. Like, I was like, welcome to Jersey, right? Like, there's just so many. You know, yeah, it's a weird place. You know, like I, you know, I show up at this, you know, huge man-made lake. I'm trying to figure out like what group of party people is like my little group. And like to your point, like the 1974, you know, try to live after, you know. The banner is on a Volkswagen bus. I was like, Scooby-Doo are there? <laughs> but I think that's what makes it so exciting. <laughs> you, you never, like, I think in New Jersey, right? Because it's such a small place, you never know what you're going to get, right? Like I was, every time I said I'd go fishing for trout, I got suckers, I got pickles. I said to my husband, I think just going to go out and fish for it. A striped bass and maybe I'll get a trout that way you know it's a weirdly dive pocket of water that in a weirdly diverse area I live in um but I think that's what makes it special right like you go out every day you know you never mind mm-hmm. so you, you were if you want a print we can get you one if you ever want a print we can probably get one. Oh, that would be rad <laughs> You you were you were touched on so limited space. Um, is that just due to you know? I, I would almost call that combat fishing to an extent. Maybe it's not. It can't be as bad as it is out there in the West. But <laughs> um, how? So you were talking about you could you know you can holler across the canal at someone. Is it a, it, you know, is there enough water really for everyone? I mean, the, the answer is always yes, right? There's always enough water for everyone. But do, do you feel like it's a really heavily pressured uh, waterway to actually be able to accomplish a successful day of fishing? Or I, we all find enjoyment in different facets of the outdoors, right? You know, just because we're not catching fish doesn't mean like, maybe you see an eagle that's awesome i, I saw mm-hmm. an eagle the other day when i was fishing in arkansas and and then i missed the top water strike uh <laughs> you know it's just um do, do you find it i guess what i'm trying to say is, is it challenging with the amount of people at that specific waterway that you have to be successful fishing i would say yes because there's a kayak right on the, down the block <laughs> so um, i'm always like there, I have that, I always say, you have that window of time, like, right, where you're not going to cast into a kayak, right? Like, the I mean, plastic we joke hatch. about that sometimes. Yes, you know, and we also have, like, if you go out on Lake Carnegie, you have the rollers, right, and you have the motor launches, and you have, like, the crew boats. I mean, it's beautiful to watch, and I'll be honest, I love watching kayakers, you know, because mo- I would say, 99.9% of the time, they're very polite. They try to get out of the way. And honest, like, it's good income for, it, for whoever's running that kayak rental. And I'd rather people enjoy that water than nothing. Um, but I know in other parts of New Jersey, and I was reading about this on um, NJ.com, there's a battle going on where I think it's more towards, I don't exactly know where it is, and it's my fault I should. But a lot of our dollars, right, this is why I always tell people you should get a fishing license for your state. Go to stocking, go to maintenance, right? And there are there are bodies of water that are becoming more privatized, right? Like where where there 
this specific body of water, there's no public boat launch. So in the past, when it was less crowded, a lot of the restaurants and, you know, the marina, the private marinas would say, hey, anglers come during the day. Now no one can get in. And one of the comments I read was someone was like, look, that, you know, you're, the New Jersey Fish and Wildlife's offering this, you know, well, you know, we as an everyone out there is paying for this. It should be publicly accessible. You know, so I think where I am, there is not as much pressure to fish. It's actually a fairly well-used waterway. But I've heard with some lakes, especially beginning of trout season, you know, it's it's been really left as it is, right? Like, I literally kid you not, I'm rappelling down, you know, the banks <laughs> to get to the water. So to me, when I talk about accessibility, it's tricky because I think there is more fishermen and fisherwomen than there are points to get to the waterways where you want. And it's for some of the bigger lakes, right? There's no public access. Um, and where I, you know, I'm gonna knock on wood here. I've been fortunate where I can basically get out to where I want to go. I, I personally have never had a problem, but I can see that. And it, I kind of see it as a harboring of things to come on the East Coast where for whatever reason, the infrastructure isn't up, right? Like if, you know, if, just me getting onto my trails, right? I literally have, you know, flesh cutters. <laughs> if I want to get onto the path, right? I'm fine doing that, right? But if we're, I can see where there's a big body of water, right? And it's all private marinas and restaurants and, you know, there's literally no public boatway, that's a problem. And again, I feel like on the East Coast, more of a problem because it just physically is less space. Like there we say trout season, right? Like it literally it can be, shoulder to shoulder, right? If there's a rumor of a big run of stripers and then like people will go. And personally, like I would love to get one, right? But I am just cautious for me, partly because I'm just such a bad fly fisherwoman sometimes. I don't want to hook someone, but I tend to like find my own little space, you know, that's more fit. So I'm willing to sacrifice that first run of trout and get something random. But I can see well on the East Coast, when I talk about accessibility, it really is there's only so many miles of good shoreline, either inland or on the shore, and there's only so much space. And as that real estate gets bought up, right? Well, even if it's available, that it's not well maintained, you know, I even ask people, right? If I'm coming up to fish, is it okay if I park by the side of the road? You know, because there literally is no parking, you know, or I'll Google it ahead of time. Be like, oh, there's parking here, parking here, you know, or a lot of stuff I pass, you should see my truck. It looks like a Bass Pro Shop because I have everything stacked up nicely. But when I go out into the woods, I have like a tiny little deck pack. I try to pack light because often I'm walking from my car, you know, five, 10 minutes down. You know, I don't have a boat. I'd like one. But I know for some of the more traffic lakes, right, where it is becoming a problem. You know, it's not just you need a boat. It's you may have the boat, you may have the kayak, but you know, through reasons that are no fault of your own, you just cannot get down to the water. And I've always wondered if it's more of an East Coast thing just because of the sheer size and the age of, of it, right? But um, I'm, you guys don't have that on the West Coast and down South, right? But it just might not be as concentrated, right? Because, I mean, you see the size of New Jersey. It's like, it's like this big. It could fit in the corner of Wyoming. I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest here. It's a tiny, East Coast is like, a tiny little state. So I think the pressure on accessibility, and I also think of stepping back from just getting down to the waterway, right? Like if you if you are truly disabled, it would be a hard, it would be hard for you there because like you, if I can't get down to the water and I'm an able-bodied woman who's willing to fall on her ass a couple <laughs> I mean, 
it's I can see where it's even worse, right? Like, but I'd be curious though if you guys have that same problem. You know, like is getting that is like really is getting down to the water like easy? So for for you guys, for me, I would say yes. Uh, the less popular lakes and rivers um no it is not it is not easy especially if you want to creek fishing now i know creeks are creeks and they're just runoffs and all this other stuff but if you want to go fish a good creek uh be prepared to go hiking because you're not going to get to it there's there's literally just no way to get to it there's no parking Mm um it's they're so beautiful and they're so fun to actually take part of and fish but you can't get to them and some of the smaller lakes that people are like oh you can't you can't fish there well yeah you can fish there it's not private land they just don't take the time to look it up and they're like oh well if you do fish there you can't eat the fish well it's fine i'm catching and releasing and by the way texas game and wildlife would tell me if i can't eat those fish and that the water was unsafe so they just don't want people to fish in their spots. And right. that, that, that's, that, that, that's part of the thing down here, um, especially in smaller Southern towns. I say smaller, this is uh, exponentially larger where I live now than where I did in Tennessee. And uh, tight lips, especially in where I grew up in Tennessee, you know, we, we all fished, you know, the same places, but no one ever was like, hey, I caught them on this or hey this is kind of what pattern i picked up on it it's it's not there's no sharing the wealth whatsoever and that's the same thing here it's just on a larger scale mm-hmm. but um brian what about you man so this has been the fight of the ages in the west because um uh, it, we have so much public land here in the west we have national forest we have bureau of land management we have um U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, state forest lands, uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife lands. Uh, there's there's been a, a war basically at hand, and and especially I'm I'm going to coin the the uh, coastal area because Oregon has laws in place, and I believe Washington does, and a few others. I could be uh, incorrect that all navigable waterways and what they mean by a navigable waterway is one that can be used for commercial or industrial use so you take the columbia river there is nowhere on the columbia river that can be privately owned it can be owned by the tribal um consortiums and lands uh with with the uh, native tribes or it is owned by us the public um that river you can fish anywhere you want to and it is a massive it's a huge river uh then then we also have our beaches and because the ocean is navigable waterway uh for commercial shipping um nobody can own the beach now there's been people that have attempted to purchase sections of the beach where they think that they can own the the beach where people would be able to walk through and and they want to charge them with trespass now there is a a, um a deadline so you you can't like cross the sand dunes into somebody's yard that's got an oceanfront property by the way uh, mm-hmm. i would never own an oceanfront property here with a dangerous tsunami uh, <laughs> it's just something i wouldn't do but uh they they literally own the tops of um uh, the sand dune and so you can't go there now inland rivers uh, on the coast 
those are not considered navigable waterways. So people can own all the way up to the stream bank. Some have strung fences through the middle of the river. Now, in New Jersey, I don't know if you have migratory fish species, maybe Atlantic salmon, something like that. But when these folks decided to drive fence poles and run barbed wire through these coastal rivers, they also impeded access for Chinook salmon, uh, for steelhead, for uh, chum salmon, pink salmon, all, all these other different salmon species that run. They, they destroyed the stream bed, but the, there was laws that were preventing anybody from carrying any other further action out. They, they did that so that boats could not go down the river, even though there were legal launch points upriver and legal takeout points downriver that were owned by the Department of Fish and Wildlife. Land and boundary in the West is a hotly contested issue. People died in the past because of it, because uh, ranch lands, uh, fighting over free grazing. Uh, I mean, there's people, they were getting hung <laughs> in the 1800s out here for free grazing. So you'd have a, a group of folks that came through and they would want to graze the open land that was thought to be publicly owned. Other, other cattle ranchers get in fights. They'd have big shootouts, everything else. Ranching and land ownership in the West has been uh, a pretty major thing. More so uh, now that our, our urban density is picking up, uh, uh, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. we've, we've had a lot of people transit over. Uh, people like our Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Marine Board, uh, actually our government agencies are far more involved with that uh, aspect than even the private but we have we have uh, steelhead and salmon fishing associations we have TU we have all that and and there's been just a massive fight and and even with like um, uh, pheasants forever quail forever you know um, Mm -hmm. the national wild turkey foundation ducks unlimited now ducks unlimited out here because we have the pacific flyway has been a big proponent of that so the west is is like the the last stand fight for uh public stream access and so because we've learned from what you experienced catherine uh, that's what we don't want to have. We, uh, and, and we have seen the toll of what stream bank development and agricultural development does to uh, a lot of our river systems. And, and they are very sensitive. You'll, you will see a change very rapidly based on uh, the type of commerce and industry that comes in around the river. So it, the West is a very, th this is a hotbed uh, for, for um, public access, just because of how massive it is and all the access points right now. I could take you to 15 different rivers and we wouldn't have a problem getting down to the bank or fishing them. That's, I mean, that's what it is. Lakes, same thing. It'd take you to a thousand lakes and you would, you'd be like, I didn't realize that, you know, and, and this, and these are lakes that are probably within a 30 square mile radius. I could take you to, you know, three, 400 lakes in one area and, and no problem with access. So yeah, the West it's vast. It's, it's massive. Uh, it, a lot of it's inaccessible to a lot of people uh, just because of the sheer size and, and uh, rugged terrain, but that's, that's what we have out here. I mean, maybe it's better that way. I mean, cause we have a lot of, when New Jersey, right? We are right on a flyway and I know my, um, I spent the summer on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. My in laws have a house and that was a big contention issue with, would be wind turbines going up. I mean, I think I would, I would rather have, and this is just me, I would rather have more organizations out there, even if they don't always work together, done because, you know, it's to your point, it's little things that make a huge difference. 
you know, it, and it's little things happening that make a huge difference. I mean, we have, I think we have Shad Fest. I feel like that's clo- that's that's closer to Pennsylvania. But to your point, if the West is dealing with it, the East Coast has already gone through it, right? You know, we have, mm-hmm. you know, and I think because it's so small, right? Like you have the multi-million dollar homes going up, you know, and I could start, I could start with the property owners, you know, look, you know, th- this is your land, you've spent a million dollars on it, you know, by right, you shouldn't have people going through it. But at the same time, if you think about the fishermen, and I go back to that lake, and I'll figure out where it's from, um, if your tax dollars and your fishing license dollars are going to stop that lake, you know, to me, by law, the public should have access to it, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it's just a microcosm. I mean, what makes me feel a little a slightly better about the East Coast is a lot of the industrialization and the damage that we have, right? You know, the super fun sites, the brown fun sites, you know. I would I would be very hesitant to eat the fish where I am purely because, you know, I would literally walk along and find old bottles, like bottle dumps. I mean, it's just an old, old part of the country where you don't know what's leaching into the water. And I know they've done a lot of cleanup on that, but I feel like at least on the West Coast, probably because it's younger, you know, with the rail movement, things got shipped out West. I feel like it's a little more pristine. And, I, and that's where if you can keep it untraveled, right? I would rather keep it that way. But at the same time, right? Your tax dollars, they do go for something somewhere. I mean, one thing that I was telling my husband about with the whole Pebble Mine, I said to him, remediation costs a lot. You know, when people say, oh, I'll, I'll leave enough money for you. No, it's never it's never enough, you know. And that's why I'm hoping that we can blow a mine entirely. You know, but even something like that, right? To your point about steam bed damage has been shockingly fast. You know, we have too many deer here. Like, it's causing runoff into the water. Yeah. You know, they're eating through the understory, right? Like, Italy is a huge problem, you know. It's even, it's things that you don't think would be detrimental that cause a problem, you know? That's why I feel like the West Coast, you have so many more organizations and I'm sure it's not perfect, but I feel like if we can prevent some of the East Coast damage from happening, you know, and prevent, you know, multi-million dollar houses blocking the beaches, you know, mm-hmm. because of, they've been there for so long, they would be bothered in. I think, I think that's something to go for. And I think even now, if you have that opportunity, because again, it's much more undeveloped, but I think too, there's that economic cost, you know, to that, because every time I think about, you know, oh, let's keep it clean, let's keep it open, you know, if you're a rancher and you have to graze a cow somewhere, like, where are they going to go? Right. You know, I mean, that's one thing that I keep hearing about, right, with the fragmentation, like, even not just trout and salmon, but migratory animals, right, they, they have nowhere to go, like, that's why, you know, in the fall, I said, husband, Every East Coast newspaper you read, there is always at least once a month someone dying because of a deer, because mm-hmm. the deer have no way to go. So, yep. you know, going across an interstate, you know, brown bears, you know, are becoming a big problem in New Jersey because I think part of it is the climate change. They're probably waking up sooner, but, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little crazy. You know, you never know what you're getting. Well, I feel like on the West Coast, in parts of the South, you guys have more of a cushion. You know, not that you're not going to wake up and find a muley looking in your front window, you know, but, you know, I can literally poke an eye out of a deer by opening my window some days. That's beautiful to see, you know, but between deer ticks and hitting the poor things, you know, I'd like a little more of a buffer zone, you know. 
I mean, I'm sure you guys would have stories about what you find in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, the, 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 probably the biggest thing, uh, that, that, um, we, we all face collectively is, is that access and, and the, the stream accessibility, the lake accessibility. And I think you touched on a very important point there where, you know, we have tax dollars going to uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife or Natural Resources. You have Pittman-Robertson money that goes in from the the tackle and the and the clothing and the gear that we buy and everything else. You have you have a, a large amount of money going into that, and and then to have uh, some some water bodies that are actually managed by the the public uh, entities. Uh, for those types of, of uh, fishing and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's really one of those things where, um, you know, we, we, we have a right to be able to fish that, but because of the way that some of the laws are written and everything else, that's, you know, the, the, the access gets cut off. And so I know that that's, that's going to be the war for the ages. And that's going to be the war for the ages in the West uh, and in the South and the Midwest, uh, everywhere. But yeah, the, 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 the double-edged sword of that part is, is that um, out here, uh, TU has actually partnered up with a lot of the ranchers, uh, especially ranchers that own large swaths of land. When we talk about large land uh, ownership, and, and John can probably attest to this down in Texas too, uh, a, a cattle ranch can be five to 6,000 acres. We're talking about a ranch that's probably the size of the town that you live in in New Jersey. And this is nothing but open range with like multiple watersheds. Some of them, some of them own part of mountains. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the whole thing. It's like, how can you own a mountain? And it's like, it's just a part of that agricultural development land out here. That's what it is. Um, so a lot of efforts been put in to actually co-op and work with the ranchers. Now the ranchers have other economic means that they make off of those as well. So they, they offer hunting. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the biggest things out here in the West is that if you go to a cattle ranch, chances are if you, if you can go hunt a cattle ranch, you are going to be very successful because the, the graze is managed. So there's, there's a lot of grazing. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, there's great uh, ground and land management. The, the forests uh, and, and the forest space are maintained exceptionally well because the rancher doesn't want their ranch to catch on fire and burn down. That's a real big hazard out here. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also uh, the stream banks are protected because, uh, you know, Trout Unlimited, uh, the Departments of Fish and Wildlife, Natural Resources, they go in and they actually work with the ranchers. They're like, hey, this little stream uh, is a spawning habitat for wild trout. We need to protect it. We'll pay for this part when we'll send in a biologist. We just want to be able to come on your land and protect this. And, and the ranchers have been a lot better about that. Uh, you know, and they're, they're like, we'll, we'll subsidize uh, wells so that you don't have to siphon off irrigation out of this Creek. So we can actually put uh, wells in and there's been a lot of that type of work too. And I don't know, John, if you can talk to anything there in Texas or, or Tennessee, but that's been, that's been a major milestone in, in our um, uh, habitat maintenance out here. Uh, and, and there might be some people that say, well, I've never got any help with that. And I've just taken care of it. And to them, I, I say good for you because you, you really are protecting not only what you own and your resource, but what also discharges out. But John, is that kind of the same thing as uh, Texas DNR doing that with a lot of their ranchers too out in West Texas and all that? Man, to be honest, I'm still 
really new to Texas. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not incredibly familiar with the conservation piece. Uh, I didn't even know what Trout Unlimited was until like two months ago. So uh, that's okay. <laughs> I, I do know there have been, there's an issue. We do have a systemic issue with our, some of our smaller watersheds here um, just from agricultural runoff. Uh, it's, it's completely destroying the fisheries that run through some of them. So I would imagine that, uh, Texas DNR or, you know, game and wildlife, they don't, they don't mess around. So I'd imagine they're doing something about it. Uh, literally the most active, uh, you know, um, big shout out to, uh, the park rangers and, uh, all of our game wardens, uh, here in Texas, they, they don't mess around. Uh, I've been checked so many times. Tennessee, I have literally never been checked ever. And I've fished some incredibly popular lakes and rivers. Never once got checked. And here in Texas, I swear it was like every, every two weeks or so, I was, I was getting stopped and checked. I was like, man, that's really annoying. And then I grew up a little bit about it and I thought about it a little <laughs> bit more than just being checked by the game warden. And I was like, they're preserving our land is what they're doing. Uh, so I would imagine that, you know, game and wildlife and uh, all of our other recreational uh, Texas facilities, you know, all I'd imagine they're doing something about it, but I don't, I don't know that, but that, that's my thoughts on it anyway. <laughs> I feel like, especially with trophy deer hunting, that it's, first, it is a big money maker, right? I mean, and that, and I know there's an argument going on, the chronic wasting disease, right? Like, mm -hmm. no one, I think mean, no one kind of knows where it came from. I mean, rumor is that it started from maybe, I don't know, farm deer, you know, because anytime you congregate animals together, unfortunately, for better or for worse, you know, what? purely from the number of coyote kills around here, you change the predation patterns. And two, I think it's easier to transmit diseases. I know New Jersey is very stern on like not feeding the deer. Yeah. I mean, but again, for us in such a tight, tight fragmented environment, you, you don't want, you don't want deer crossing more roads than they already do, you know? But I think when you think about game management, you know, if you, it could be grouse, it could be deer, it could be fish. I think once people start to really realize that, again, this is me saying, yeah, to your point, you know, it's money. You know, you're not going to get a nasty river because your deer are cropping everything down and you have enough deer and also you have enough manager on it that your runoff isn't going into the water, your farms aren't burning down. I think it's a win-win for everyone. And I feel like I don't want to say it's a lack of education because I think a lot of people already know this, but I don't know if it's if it's incentivized the right way, right? Like, I mean, for where we are, one of our Audubons has so many deer that they, I think as part of the five-year management plan, you can draw a lottery and you can come onto um, a New Jersey wildlife site and you can hunt. And, I, and that's the one time it's closed, you know, and as my husband says, you know, you see people with trucks and they kill a lot of deer, but they've, they've had to because, I mean, it's totally deforested. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of part of the problem living in such an urban built-up environment. Like, from my end, I mean, and I love animals, we need more hunters. It's just, 
you know, where I live, you know, we have, we, we're lucky that we're sandwiched between a major road and a canal. So if the deer wanted to, when it gets low enough, they can jump over and go the other way. But their populations are kept in check because we also have very active coyotes. We're lucky where they're not starving to death. You know, they're not overgrazing. They're not cropping things down much, you know, but that's where I think where you guys have a little more space and you have that management. I do feel like well-managed hunting plays a big part in keeping a healthy environment. Unfortunately, where we are, there's just not enough space to hunt deer freely. I mean, I'd love to do that, you know, but we just can't. Like the chances of you, you know, popping someone by accident, popping your deer mm-hmm. are too high. But I feel like when it's managed together, right, Ducks Unlimited working with, and I, it's not the quality deer management. I think they changed the name. The Deer Management Association working with Chart Unlimited, you know, if you're the kind of thing that says, well, what's in it for me? Well, there's a lot of money in like people will pay like tens of thousands of dollars to buy a trophy buck. You know, if some of that money can then go to keep the trout the stick moving, you know, I'm all for it. I just feel like, unfortunately, where we are, you don't have that opportunity because the land is just too built up. But I feel like, you know, especially where you're, Brian, on as well, right? Like people have realized that there's, there's a lot of money that can be made, you know, to keeping the environment clean and accessible. You know, I wish it was a lesson that we had all seen earlier, right? Instead of, you know, we're, again, where I am, where heavy manufacturing alone has taken a big toll on the health of the environment, you know, that we, I, I feel like we kind of miss that opportunity where I feel like as you move further west and down south, you know, it could be a lesson learned. Yeah, you know, that uh, to, to kind of echo the sediment of, of hunting. Uh, so one thing is, is that, um, you know, in, in that respect, you know, it, Hunt, hunting isn't like catch and release fishing <laughs> and, and it, it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, especially in, in respect to, um, cultures, right? So you have, you have a culture of people that they, people love to see live wildlife. They love to see, uh, live deer, live elk, live bison and wolves and coyotes and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fox and everything else. But, um, the, this is where it gets difficult for a lot of folks is, um, on one hand, we want to have this, this, you know, place to live. We want to have a place to live where we can be convenienced and have, uh, opportunity commerce and industry where we can make money and we can live and be productive in our society. And then on the other hand, we want the, the outdoor utopia where it's like watching a Disney movie and there's, and there's uh, birds and animals and fish and they're jumping around and singing and having a great time. The, the harsh reality is, is that one species is going to have to outcompete the other in order to survive. Well, humans, we we're pretty ingenuitive, right? We can, we can figure out ways to survive without like encroaching on another species. However, where you're at there, you have a, a large population of white-tailed deer. White-tailed deer breed prolifically. They, they breed far faster and harder than <laughs> we get mule deer or Colombian blacktail, uh, which is what we have out here. And, and so there's a lot more deer. And to not be able to effectively hunt those deer and rely on public resource to manage those deer in a way of culling the herd. And then throw on top of it uh, 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 crossed over, uh, you know, chronic wasting disease, which 
I think I think you were right. There were there were farm deer, but I think that it was a crossover and a feedlot from cattle because of mad cow disease into that 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 cervid population. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It, it had something to do with hooved animals, <laughs> and, and so they, they they had some kind of cross up. It, it freaks people out out west because we haven't had a lot of confirmed cases of CWD but they they are they are watching it like a hawk and especially in areas where we have active cattle ranching and you have uh, uh like rocky mountain elk and you have roosevelt elk and you have uh, mule deer and then you have uh domestic bovine uh and and even even um equine you know horses and stuff like that they're really watching that whole dynamic and and they're kind of freaking out they're like hey you know we don't know who's hanging around what you know cattle guzzler and mm-hmm. what what water hole and everything else because it, how, how do you manage it eight nine twelve thousand acres of, of ranch land you don't know what's going to be at what feedlot and all that but we have to have that wildlife management aspect in there and there's two ways it can be done like you said, one way is, is let the DNR manage or to let the public manage. And it's just like with a fishery, um, you know, <laughs> you can, you can get overpopulated on one species of fish in a real hurry, especially a predatory species. And if everybody's perception is, is like, well, the water's bad. So the fish are bad when that may or may not be the full case, you know, you're, you're going to have a little bit of a mixed perception. So I can understand the chronic wasting disease. I can also understand culturally speaking where you're going to have some limitations on, on people being hesitant to go out and harvest an animal uh, based on, on their perception. And the same thing goes with fish, right? People don't want to hurt and kill something, which is what it really comes down to. It's like, we don't want to hurt and kill something and watch it suffer to death. And it's like, there's, there's a part of me that I, I empathize with those people that have that perception. It, I, but then there's another part of me that says, what would you rather have? Would you rather see a, a deer get shot through the, the, the center body mass with an arrow or a shotgun or a, a rifle or watch it get its rear quarter hit with a truck and struggle off the road with its two good feet and ball to death over in the ditch? I, I kind of think about that in that respect. And then also watch the deer's hindquarter go through somebody's windshield <laughs> and 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 potentially decapitate them or break their face or you know cause them to wreck their vehicle and then you have a bunch of injured passengers you have a wounded deer you can control the mitigating circumstance or you can't and so it's it's one of those trade-offs you know i i I don't want to go too far off track but we're you know we we're talking Mm -hmm. about conservancies and things like that and, and i i believe that all animals are, are beautiful in their own right. And they, and they, uh, they're fun to watch and they're, they're fun to observe and they're fun to interact with, uh, you know, it, it, it responsibly, but there's also that management aspect too. I think, you know, that's, wow. <laughs> it's such a loaded topic and there's a lot of people who are really passionate ways <laughs> on it, you know, uh, you know, I know, in it Texas, is, and, you know. but I think it's easily, you can polarize it though. That's why. Right. I mean, right. and I think too, right. Once you, once you get outside more, right, I do feel like if you're willing to keep your mind open, you know, and you see, again, coming from iron, right, where I, I can be distracted by checking out some woodpeckers as much as I do fishing, right, or, you know, I just want to go out and do different things at the same time, 
if you have an open mind to it, then you start to realize like, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a reason why you find a lot of coyote kills. You know, there's a reason why where I am, right? The deer population, it's bad, but they're not starving to death, you know? And at the same time, you know, you what I don't want them to do either, right? You know, crossing over the canal a lot too, because I try to be also, when I go fishing, I try to be careful getting making my own access points, you know? And again, deer can be horrifically destructive, you know? They will destroy everything, you know? And I'm, so if you want to, you know, keep, if you want to manage a nice fishery, you do have to think about, everybody around it you know i mean speaking of fishing um last fall i found this poor little screech owl that had gotten snagged in fishing line in the tree and i you know i rescued it 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 had to be put down at a wild rehab center but it was going through a popper in the tree i mean you never you never know what's out there until you see it right so i was like oh my god that poor owl you know but then i realized it and i was talking to the local animal and he said this happens all the time you know, he said, the good thing is you found it. You know, unfortunately, it had to be put down, but I was able to get it down, brought into the rehab center, you know. But that's another case of where, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I hate owls. I'm like, well, would you have a lot of rats, <laughs> mice, you know. But even, even if I think about fish, right, like we have a lot of invasive green sunfish around here, and they are vicious. And their mouths, I've heard, just a little bit bigger than a bluegill. Um, and I was told by my fish and wildlife, like, if you catch them, do not release them. You know, you got to kill them. Like, they, they breed like crazy, you know. And that was probably someone's good intentions idea, right, to make it more fun. You know, when they're eating, they're out-competing everybody, you know, because their mouth is just big enough where they can target more food than a bluegill. You know, I literally was fishing somewhere by the road, and I was like, holy crap. And then someone was like, but that's a green sunfish. They're invasive. And I'm like, but there's so much fun to catch. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You know, they're in they're invasive, you know, and it, and it was an odd little waterway where maybe one had to let go by accident, you know, and that part of me was like, well, why can't I move a couple of cane pickle over, <laughs> over the train tracks and put them in there? But to your point, then you're throwing off the bounds of it, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a double-edged sword, you know, and that's where one tiny thing right, can mess up things for years to come. You know, I mean, I've heard of like catfish in the Chesapeake, right? Like nothing. You know, what was it? Some of them were introduced recently, you know, and the problem is, you know, not all cafes are bottom dwellers. Some of them are kind of midwater. The water ones are the ones that are eating everybody else. The good news is they're pretty tasty, you know, but I feel like we've caused ourselves so many problems inadvertently by trying to make something, you know, more attractive when then suddenly you're overwhelmed with, you know, predatory catfish and predatory sunfish. And I'd never think of panfish as predatory, but green sunfish, oh my gosh. Like, I, I was shocked at how fierce they were and how much bigger their mouths were. Mm -hmm. So I can see where they could easily outcompete everybody else. It's like a little school of piranhas. You know, uh, I think my cat's trying to get into my room. <laughs> you know, one of the look like you. Hold on, let me just see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, and mine's not as nice as yours, right? Like mine is a. 13 pound former feral cat who like is you know she doesn't know how to play nice let's just say that was and that was one reason why i rescued it was one i felt bad and two i like i like my birds outside you mm -hmm. know I, I like supporting wildlife i figured that if i left this little feral kitten outside you know all those nice weird you know birds that call new jersey home for one season would not be coming back 
Yeah. Two of but our, anyway, I, I digress. Uh, two of our <laughs> cats are rescues. We've got four cats here. Y'all have only had the pleasure of seeing one of my chunky ones, but I've got, we got four, <laughs> but um, trying to remember what I was going to say. That's okay. Uh, but I do have something now. So you, you got a, a, a skillful angler program. Oh, I, I was going to talk about invasive species, but we can get oh, to that wait. later. Um, yeah, you got a skillful, skillful angler award for a nine-inch sunfish, right? And that's, I guess if I five of them, you get a, I don't know, a five, four. Yeah, I, that's, that's people cool. keep saying, like, I, I guess I thought, I mean, New Jersey does this, and basically, I'm going to be selfish here. I have yet to see a woman get the um, the master angler, which is like five of one kind. So I have, I have to catch five of them. I have three of them. I, I need two more. But I mean, that's the nice thing about New Jersey. Like New Jersey does do a good job. I mean, anything I can do, but that's the thing. Anything I can do on my end, and I'm, I have to say, I'm with state does this kind of cool thing. Um, but for for most people though, a nine inch sunfish is nothing. <laughs> I mean, that it just goes to show you, right? Like for us, a nine inch sunfish, like, that, yeah, that's a good size fish, right? For other people, they're probably, yeah, I get those every day in New Jersey. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know that that was it. That was. I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. No, I, I was. I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was. You know that was. That was another thing too that I really appreciated about something you said earlier. You said, and, and you know, just now talking about the fish that you have near you, and you're appreciative of the size and what all fish are there. It's you, you keep. Uh, you, you referred to you know trophy fish. I think about to sneeze. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah sure did that was giant uh, <laughs> um so being appreciative of of the species you have right on your your doorstep really are is fantastic you know um Bry bryce miller uh, I, I spoke about that maybe a month and a half ago i was i was on my high horse in my soapbox for a little bit you know about you don't not every river is going to be that blue ribbon river but that doesn't mean it's not your blue ribbon river or stream or watershed or canal or pond or mud puddle mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. it if it holds fish and you enjoy the fishing there it doesn't matter how big the fish is and and we were talking about all these uh perceptions of all these people that are just holding these absolute giant fish on instagram and whatnot but I know that if I go fish the man-made lake, well, I say man-made lake, it, it's been taken care of. It's a spring-fed lake, but so, but uh, the fish aren't huge in it. it. They drained everything two years ago. I've literally, as soon as I moved here to Texas, they had just finished entirely. It's surrounded by, you know, parks and the fish aren't huge in it, but I know that a, a panfish the size of my hand is giant there and i appreciate that fish playing with me for that day so i i think that's i think that's a fantastic mindset to have that you're you're not you're not pushing like oh well this isn't really a big fish you're enjoying every catch you know uh, luke duncan uh, whether or not people like him or not that's up to you but he he says something he says you have one life fish it well and I think that's a really great, uh, really great mindset. And just 
that speaks volumes in that short phrase. It really speaks volumes for, you know, just appreciating what you have right next to you. So I think that's really awesome. And you spoke about Tenkara and a couple things here. You don't just fly uh-huh. fish. You don't just fly fish. You don't just spin fish. Um, you're an all-encompassing anger, uh, angler, excuse me. Uh, but one thing I thought was unique is you can spot them from a mile away. You have some of Nick Feller's flies, NorCal Tenkara. Uh, I saw some of his flies. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> He gave me a couple. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't even know. I don't even know how I'm I to your point about like meeting people on Instagram, right? Like I I got on it before. Oh my god. I can't, it's hold on. It's like Godzilla. I see the paw. She's like, mommy. Come in. Honey bunny. Come on. Come on. Anyway, um, no, I got, I got into Tenkara because I have, I really have, I really have bad wits. And I, I said to my husband once, I don't like to spend more than a hundred dollars on fish on a fishing rod. And I was like, oh, Tenkara is great. And I was like, I don't need a real so I can spend more money on the rod. So that <laughs> was a horrifically, you know, then I realized I was probably spending more than I needed to. But I mean, I like to be well-rounded. I also realized too, like, it's good oh honey can you can you feed her honey yeah my cat go go talk to that oh yeah see she just cares about food i can see anyway i get that um she she gets um i caught her one day where i was trying to not feed her early and i said to her you know i'm sorry i said it's too early go talk to dad when you know she went up to my husband she's like hi honey so mom said no can can i i'm like i'm like what the anyway, um, no i think it's good to be well-rounded you know it's it's more fun more fun that way and also i i'm the kind of person who will take her flies and put them on my spinning rod I, you just have to use a like use a lighter pound test and either you have to have a heavier bobber or a little to be able to get the weight but it I gotta say it works pretty well because I'm like, why should I not use my flies all the time? And people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, I have like, you know, Nick's little, um, I took his out, you know, his, his little mixes and I'll just, you know, put them on my spinning wheel, you know, longer, you know, longer line, put either a little, a little lefty BB or put a bobber on. You can, you can cast them pretty well. I mean, I prefer top water because where we are, it, it's so easy to snag. Um, the number of times, like, and I've gotten better, but the number of times I lose stuff in, you know, either in the trees or, you, or nine times out of 10, I'll just get the lower back, but I'll see the bobber go drifting away. You know, I think it's, I think it's good to be, be diverse because I do admit like the one trout I caught, but I didn't, I was trying to get a nice picture on it. It was a rainy day and it unhooked itself and, you know, literally rolled down the riverbank and said bye, you know. <laughs> Some things are best targeted with, you know, fly rod. And John, that was horrible. It was a pouring rainy day, you know. I was like, I'll go out and fish. And I had this gorgeous, what looked like a rainbow trout, you know. And I'm all excited and I'm feeling it in. And, you know, trying to get back up the bank and it's wet and I'm falling. And the fish just released itself. And I'm like, I was like, someday I'll get, you know, a trout, you know. And they literally stalk it down the street for me. But anyway, 
I think it's good to try different to try different things too, right? Because a lot of you know talking about the giant fish on Instagram, right? Like they kind of like Bart Lombardo says he was. Cause I made this comment about that when I first started fishing. I remember I said something to him in Orvis, like I really want to get a bass, and he's like, you can't. He's like, but what about parrotfish? I'm like, yeah, but I want a bass. And he was like, but parrotfish are just as fun to fight and. The more I started fishing, to your point about enjoying everything, I'm like, you know, look, as long as I'm catching something on, you know, some rod, on some reel, you know, I per- I personally realized in it's a maturity, like me two years ago would have been like, I just want a big rock bass. But nowadays, I'm like, you know what, it's nice to get a panfish, you know, because now I've started matching them up. Oh, is it a male? Is it a female? You know, I think, but I think too, it's like, you said, John, you have to mature, you have to diversify your set, you know, because fly fishing is great, you know, but at the same time, I've heard more than a couple people, like, you know what, more people who fly fish spin fish, for whatever reason, they just focus on fly fishing, you know, given how expensive that stuff is, mm-hmm. you know, and the, most of my fly fishing stuff, I find these random sellers on Etsy or eBay, who, you know, do a discount, or mm-hmm. I'm a big shopper of Oversocks. Um, the downside of it is I got this great Lampson reel and because it was like um, discontinued, it took me about another year to get a spool. It was horrible. And I was like, oh, it's a great deal. Then I'm like, oh, I want another spool. And then Lampson's like, I'm sorry. They're like, but that was on the closeouts for a reason. It took me, I think, about another nine months. You know what I mean? You talk about fishing on a budget. You know, I, I am your friend. You know, I'm, I'm kind of picky about some of my stuff purely from the money spent, but at the same time, like, Trout magnet. I love that stuff. Joseph Melly was like, you gotta try trout magnet. It took me a while to figure out how to make it up and cast it, but you know, those it's it's pretty cheap. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no to trying something new. And I think too, being on a budget, you know, like makes you be super picky. And that's one reason why to diverge a little bit, I said it to myself because I just was going through so many squirmies because I like little squirmies. And John, you sent me this awesome little yarn one that I want to try, like. Oh, to the, me, a little uh, the, what did the, you send oh, me? A little video. So, so I think uh, I either sent you an overhand worm, or I sent you a furled worm. One of the two. Um, it was it was uh, a furled I, one. It, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool because yeah. the fish around me they love worms. Like that's where at that at my little unlimited picnic, I. I was sight fishing with Stu and he was like, we, I saw a bass go there. And so I had one of his spinning rods and I put a little trap magnet worm on it. I threw it over. I got a bass right away. Now that's why I know some people are like, oh, but it's trout magnet. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you want to catch a fish? I'm like, get a bright orange worm. For whatever reason, the fish around here love orange because the water is so dark. Um, it's, I think it's, this is a lot of dead vegetation, like it's tannic, you know? So that's where to me, you know, I don't care what it is, right? To your point, you know, again, me a couple of years ago would have been like, oh my God, no, I, I just don't want to do that. I need to use like a different kind of whatever, you know, me two years later, it's like, it's a bath. Oh my God, it's awesome. Like, I don't yeah. care if it's $25. <laughs> I don't care if it's a feather or one of my toys, right? But I think there is some maturity to that. And I think the blessing of social media is there's so much more out there, but at the same time, when you see people with these giant fish, what they don't say is, you know, they probably broke six rods getting to that fish like I was talking to someone on Instagram and he went fishing for um ray and he says he had this massive ray and he said he made the mistake of of asking someone to hold the rod and the ray broke and got away you know 
that's where it's your point. You see all these great pictures on Instagram catches. You don't see how many failed attempts they were. You know, you see some with like a massive, you know, pike. They probably don't say how many times they cast it out. The pike's like, meh, you know, so it's kind of, I like to dig a little deeper, right? Like, and that's why I think to your point, the comments section, I've lot from that too, just weeding through the comments, but also the people who respond back. Those are the people I usually end up following because nine times out of 10, once people realize that you truly are interested, you know, and I get my fair share of calls too. You know, I think enough people are happy to share that knowledge and I've learned a lot, you know, just this short time we've been on social media because I never was a big social media person until I was like, you know what? I can get a lot of tips out of that, you know? And my husband said, being a biology major, that probably is helped too, right? But just meeting people, hearing people's feedback and, you know, okay, some people might say you lower your bar, you know, I mean, I, I realize I don't have a bar, you know, I'm <laughs> happy getting any fish, you know? Even if it's a teeny little, you know, I thought it was a bass. I was fishing in these holes by me and something kept jumping up. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get that bass someday. And I found a couple weeks later, it was a baby pickerel. Damn thing was jumping out of the water. Yeah. It was literally this thing. And I have it on my Instagram page. I was all excited. Like, I remember I said to my husband, I'm like, oh, there's a bass out there. I know it because it's jumping. I'm like, it's not a panfish, you know, because panfish pop and then they jump. So I was all excited. You know, when I, I was reeling it in and I get this little tiny snot pickle about the teeny little pickle. And I was like, dude, it was like, what's up? <laughs> so, you know, had it, had it been me two years ago, I would have been like, God damn it. I wanted a bass, but I was like, oh my God. Like, it was like a snot pickle, like a little tiny little pickle. And I was like, oh my God, that's so good. But I guess, you know, being open-minded and having, you know, some maturity on it, I wasn't like, God damn it. It wasn't a bath. I was like, oh, I got a baby pickle. And it was pissed off at me. It was fighting. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd be surprised. Like, people are always like, why are you barehanding everything? Well, first of all, like, my hands are so small. I, you know, buying any sort of fishing glove is difficult, right? Like, I probably sent so many back to Amazon that I kept, you know, so I barehand everything. Nine times ten, it's because, like, mm-hmm. speaking about accessibility, right? I am so sure that most nets, like, I can't wear that. I usually stick it down a boot if I'm wearing my muck boots. So I barehand everything because my hands are the only thing I have. So, you know, all the fish I've caught, you know, there's always, there's always that one that got away. Like I know there was a big bass somewhere with a trout magnet. I hope he's dropped it by now, you know, but I do think it's a valid point, right, Sean? Like you see everyone, you know, I call it the squish fish. They're like, I got it. You know, their hands are probably like numb. They're like, meh but you don't hear the story behind yeah. it, right? Like they've taken so long to get it, you know, versus someone who's like celebrating, like in a, a day fishing and you're about to like go home and you get this tiny panfish and you're like, yay, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a total day. You know, I think that's important. It is, it's, it's, it's crucial to, you know, I'd even say a part of that self-care aspect of fishing for a lot of folks. You know, if you, if you set these false expectations for yourself, I did. I did the other day. I'm not going to spot burn this lake or uh, this river, but I was, I'll let you know, you said trout magnet and that that's what these guys were slaying it out on, by the way, were trout magnets. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk about colors or anything like that because this is, is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And, you know, Brian and I were talking about it and it needs to stay that way to an extent. So if you find it, enjoy it. If, if you don't, then 
maybe someday down the road I'll fill you in. But they, you know, <laughs> they were they they were killing on trout magnets. But I was there for I fished probably about nine and a half hours, and the first five hours of my day I didn't get a bite. And then I, uh, you know, we had four other people on the river beside me, and they were catching fish left and right on trout magnets and i was the brute stock by the way like we're talking like 18 to 20 inch rainbow trout like wow. giants the biggest trout i've ever seen in my life and i was i was really disappointed in myself i was like why why can i not figure this out so anyway i watched this guy hook this fish and i was like hey man that's a big fish i told him because uh i wasn't going to be like hey man stop stop bullying that fish you're going to break off I wasn't about to tell this guy how to fish, but I let him know because I saw it because I was further out up than he was. I was like, that, that's a big fish. And he's like, no, nah, it's not that big. I was like, do you want my net? And he said, no, nah, I'll, I'll be fine. And long story short, this is, this is like a 20 inch rainbow trout. And I had a net, he didn't have a net and he was trying to get it in his hands and it came off. But you know, it's, uh, but at the same time, at as I was watching him do that, I had, uh, I had a, one of my flies out. It was a dry fly and I hear the water just break. So I, I set, I wasn't even watching. And I ended up with this beautiful 15 inch brown trout, the biggest trout I've ever caught in my life. And it was a brown. So it, it was fantastic. I saw that. It, it was, it was awesome. And that was, if I had to catch one fish, because by God, I would have went to that little pond back here in Texas and fished for panfish for the rest of the day, just so I could regain a sense of what it felt like to have one on the end of the line. But I was so thankful for that fish. And you, I say this a lot, you know, as you're growing as an angler, at the, the first phase of it is you want to catch a fish and then you want to catch a big one then after you catch your big one you want to catch a lot and then that final stage is more of you're just happy to be out there with the fish you don't have to catch the big one you don't have to catch a lot of them but typically you want to catch one you know to pick off the skunk. <laughs> but ah, oh, i hate getting i hate getting skunked it's kind of it's almost like getting skunked in shed hunting like depending on the year like my husband I would find multiple sheds now in hindsight some of them probably had been there for years and I just happened to find it you know but I, it is depressing when you come home empty-handed but at the same time right like if I can learn something from it you know like and it's interesting what you said about trout magnet because I feel like and people have said this too it depends so much on well like seasonally the pattern the color that kind of thing or what worked for you this year the fish might not give a damn next year it there's so many factors that we don't know i mean someone said to me once the more time you spend watching and listening and just observing the better off you be but i john i agree with you if you have a plot like you, you you throw it out there and nine times a ten you're gonna get you're going to get something like that's not that sucker. And I love what, I don't know if you guys have more Euro, but those to us, like, they almost look like catfish, but tiny little barbels. No, but they're, they're very bottom dwellers. And they're kind of cool because I've, I've watched it from afar and I've always wanted to catch one and they're quick size, you know, but I just see them kind of going, you know, going 
under the water little packs and I was out one day fly fishing and I thought someone was pranking me because there was such a loud splash I and I was like I was like what who did this I was like dude someone has to be throwing something because you know it was a quiet day <laughs> and I was about to give up so I'm like you know what and there's a little eddy I like to fish so you know that's my little trout bag it was a Helga mite you know which makes a water bug in the spring and I got that sucker but I literally thought someone was pranking me because I kept hearing this massive splash. I was like, dude, someone must be throwing a brick around you. I'm like, what the? So I'm like, I was about to go home, right? But I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll cast it out. And it was a, it was a sucker. It must've been really hungry because I've never seen them off the bottom of the water, right? But, you know, it's sometimes, you know, when you think you look on, right? It's like, you just stop and you listen, you know, and you and you might not be a fish, right? Like I've I've really been like in the middle of deer fights, you know, I've seen ospreys skewing by, you know. I think that's you know, that's one thing I've noticed that people appreciate on Instagram, at least a lot of the people I follow, right? They're not just fishing, they're hunting, they're, you know, sightseeing, right? Like I said to my husband, like, you know, Nick, he he lets try to find those old glass insulators off railroads. I said to my husband, I'm like, Every time I post about this old bottle, I found you something. I was like, I come home and my Instagram page is like full of stuff or I'll get texts from people and they're like, I don't know if you got this. No, I'm, I'm still coming down the mountain, but I wanted to show you these awesome bottles I found. And my husband was like, he was talking to his mom and he was like, I don't know how she does it. He was like, there are hundreds of people who follow her on Instagram for shed antlers and old bottles. <laughs> and I was like, and I'll get you an old bottle. But it was it was hysterical because it kind of looks back to what we're talking about, right? Like, if you keep an open mind, and I'm dying, right? Like, this, like one of my friends, this is old, I'm one of the older ones. Wow. Prohibition. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I blow, I cleaned this one. I almost broke it. I, I think I cried because it took me about five hours digging out. You can see it's, it's hand glass. The rumor was in New Jersey, because it's all mobbed up, you had people bottling cider, right? And you were able to do that. And people would come to the distillery. And, you know, maybe maybe a crate of your cider, you know, went missing because all the bottles say not for resale. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think if you can if you can switch gears, right? If you're shed hunting or if you're fishing or if you find something like some of the best birders I've known actually are fishermen and fisherwomen, you know, because you're out there so long, right? Like, there was some guys I follow, um, I'm on a birding Facebook in New Jersey. He actually is a killer um, fisherman too. And I was like, wait, you're not the same Sammy who's on like Central New Jersey birding Facebook page. He's like, yeah, it's me. I'm like, the hell, man. And I'm like, you're killing it on the birding board. You're also killing it on the fishing board. And he was like, yeah, but I just love to get out there. And I was, I was dying because. It makes sense though, right? Like holistically, you know, if you're listening, you're watching. You know. And John, I think you're right. It kind of takes the sting off of coming home empty-handed, right? Like, although my, again, the bottle fascination of mine, my husband just dies because he's like, he's like your Instagram followers. And I'm like, yeah, my Instagram followers are so pure. I'm like, I'll get these old bottle pictures, deadhead pictures, fish pictures that your Instagram Facebook are flagging as graphic, you know, rightfully so. You know, or you have Nick and he's like, I want to get an insulator and me being me. I'm like, well, can't you, I'm like, but can't you like put a little nut under it? And he's like, Catherine, he's like, the railways would kill me. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I'm like, I hope you're not too close to the train tracks, you know, but I feel like everyone I've met, you know, has a, 
want to say a side job, but everyone I've met has has an interest beyond it. And I almost feel like, again, it's probably during, but it's also keeping an open mind, right? Like I was telling so Nick once, like I, I track in the wintertime and I could actually follow a coyote chase going after the deer. And you could see where the deer were getting driven up over the train tracks into the deep snow where more coyotes were waiting. And he was like, he said something like, it's so awesome to see that. I'm like, yeah, I bet you see something similar too. I feel like if you've been outside long enough, like you're seeing fishing skills, like just watching and listening, it can go into so many other ways, you know, mm-hmm. that's where I feel like Instagram isn't funny little community, right? Because that's how we met, you know, but anytime I feel like too, I like seeing that fishermen and fisherwomen and hunters, they're doing something different other than just fishing and hunting. And I feel like too, right? I think if people saw that, it's not just about the big one now. It's like, look, I found a wicked cool bottle. <laughs> I feel like if more people open-minded like that, you know, that there's there's a treasure out there that might not be that big bass, you know, I feel like it would make, make you know, all of us of conservation so much easier, right? Because, but it's, again, it's tricky, you know, because everyone does want that big fish, you know, I want that big fish, yeah. you want that big yeah. fish, you know, mm-hmm. I also want that big deer antler, right? You know? <laughs> But it's nice to see that, like, people are diversifying themselves. And, I mean, knock on wood, I think, too, the pandemic. I mean, New Jersey, it was awful. Like, I've lost many people, you know. But at the same time, I think it kind of forced people, you know, in a bad way to look inward and to see what else is out there. And I'm probably going to get yelled at for saying this, right, because I never would want to get this to happen to anyone, right? But I do feel like, for better or for worse, the pandemic did change our mindsets. You know, some of us, you know, what else is out there, you know, I mean, I've never seen so many people on the trails by my house and people just outside enjoying themselves, you know, alone fishing, you know, people walking, you know, I think it's good, you know, and I feel like too, right? Like if you are a conservation organization out there, even if you're the local fishing wildlife or the DNR, like this is a moment to capitalize on it too. Cause I think people are like, Oh my God, like I, I can't go anywhere, you know, but if I open my window and I see all this stuff, you know, kind of a, kind of a blessing in disguise, you know, as I'm, you know, unhooking myself, you know, from the trees, you know, but I know at least I'm not yeah. alone, you know, I know you guys are out there too, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. getting something down from a tree, like, I've gotten these really weird looks where, because of that little owl, it made me so much more aware of, like, getting stuff down from the trees, also, I'm cheap, like, <laughs> if, you know, it's always the thing that I've worked so hard to tie that I get mm-hmm. stuck in the tree, right? It's not like my 25 cent trout magnet. It's always like the nice fly, right? Yeah. And then when Nick sent me that little box of flies, he was like, Catherine, it's okay if you lose them, I'll make you more. I'm like, no, but I don't, because I know how long it took to make those, right? Like I would literally like dive into the canal to get back my stuff because I just don't want to snag anything. But also I'm like, if I lose that squirmy, I'm going to have to tie more. I mean, that's what taught me how to tie. I just got tired of going to Orvis and buying more, you know? My husband was like, you probably spent more money getting everything together. But I realized, too, I can tie my own little patterns. I can make it more palatable for the fish. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the nice thing about keeping an open mind and learning something new, you know, to your point about self-care, Brian, like, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, right? Like, you do have to focus on yourself, you know? And I feel like it may be, you know, pre-pandemic me would have been like, oh, my God, you know, you can't leave, you know, your son and your husband, you know, for the morning by themselves. But now I'm like, you know what? I'm like, 
feed the cat, you know, feed yourself. <laughs> I'm like, that's how my son is his allowance, by the way, is feeding the cat. Um, <laughs> although she's conned him. She's conned him into multiple feedings before. I've literally gotten downstairs and he's like, I fed I'm like, but I fed her this morning too. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oops. that's why she's overweight, you know, but <laughs> I think it's, it's made us realize that, you know, we can serve ourselves, you know, and it's, it's okay to get out, outside. Maybe too, right? Like, I think it's that initial fear, right, of going outside. You know, like, I I used to be, I still am very afraid of the dark, but I've literally made myself the night fishing sometimes just to make, show me that, like, it's okay. You know, although the chances of me falling and breaking the ankle are incredibly high, you know, but it, I think getting outside has kind of forced me to reassess my boundaries too. And it's also made me realize, you know, and again, like you said, John, it's maturity, right? Like, I kind of want to give the world a better place, you know, purely just for me, right? But I kind of want other people to be able to get out there too. And I know that other people feel the same way, like where I talked about the land wars, you know, and how the West Coast is trying to learn from East Coast mistakes. I think other people and even other countries, right? Like, I know the United States is like the richest in the world, but other countries too are trying to learn from our mistakes, right? Like you have, the tiger preserves in India, you know, or the the um, the the um, panda sanctuaries in China. Like everyone wants to do something, and I think too people have realized that like there's only one planet. You know, I mean, it's it's like oh yeah, I'm gonna go to Texas. Well, oh yeah, Texas, where are you gonna go? I'm gonna go to Oregon. Okay, well, you could <laughs> you can keep going, but you know, I, I think land management and water management is to your point. It, it's going to be the water wars. It's going to be the mm-hmm. land wars, not just because we need water and climate change is forcing the weather patterns to change, but, you know, it's, it's exciting to your point. It's irrigation, you know, that's one reason why we have so much trouble with preservation, right? Is as the water levels drop, it's because we consume so much water. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I feel like there's a day of reckoning ahead and I kind of want to be on the right side of that and helpful. But again, you know, there's only so much one person can do. So I'm just happy that you guys let me come on and talk about it because I feel like we could talk for days and solve all the problem world. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I every now and then, like some of my friends and I, one of them was like, can we just come over and get a bunch of beers? Like, and, you know, he's like, we saw the problems in the world. I was like, I know, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm well, not that wealthy enough to work. But I, I appreciate it. You know, you guys inviting me on because it's, it, it makes it better. So I'm not alone. So, yeah, you know, and, and we appreciate you being on here and, and really sharing your passions about these really important topics, because I don't think that we, as, as anglers, as outdoors people, we're, we're obviously very aware of, of our outdoor surroundings. Uh, every time we go out, we're seeing something a little bit different with the, uh, with, with where we go, whether, you know, the, the stream bed changes after a flood or, you know, uh, extreme temperature differentials, whether that's extreme freezing or extreme heat, uh, you know, the way that trees fall, uh, the, the way that the, the wildlife interacts and the way that we see things, it's, it's always changing. And I think it's an important thing to uh, be um, cognizant of, of all of those changes. Uh, especially since we do spend so much time out outside. And I think at the forefront of really recognizing that um, things are changing, whether, whether you like it or not, or believe it or dispel it, you know, uh, opinion, 
fact, however, you know, our, our listeners want to paint this whole picture, things are changing, whether, whether it's changing because of the weather and the climate, or it's changing because of development and industry, things are changing all the time. And, and we need to all be involved in, in helping to preserve what we have left. That doesn't mean that we're going to stop development. That does not mean that we're going to get rid of uh, agriculture or industry, but we need to look at smarter ways to do these things. That's, that's the bottom line. We're, we're, un, uh, you know, the unnecessary evils of an industrialized society. We are going to need oil for the foreseeable future. We are going to need chemicals mm. for the foreseeable future. We are going to need roadway infrastructure for the foreseeable future. We're going to have to have tires. We're going to have to have engines. We're going to have to have vehicles and transportation and all this other stuff. And there's no way to get away from it. You're, you're not going to load a grocery store's worth of cargo onto a bicycle. You can put it in the back of a semi. I'd like to. A lot of people would. <laughs> I, I, I fully agree with that. You can put it in the back of a semi that's powered by natural gas, which is better but we're still drilling for it, right? There, we all have to hit our happy medium and we need to know that we're all working towards making things better. We started at a certain point and we're continuing to work towards that. And probably one of the biggest things, if I interject once again with my own opinion is, is rather than fight each other and say, you're completely wrong and I'm completely right, why don't we get together and share our ideas and see what we can work towards together versus uh being so separate because we see the separatism in angling we see the separatism in hunting we see the separatism in wildlife viewing and perceptions you you you, you belong to trout unlimited and the autobahn society that's that if, if i was to look at that from the outside i would almost say that's like peanut butter and ketchup because on one hand trout unlimited promotes the the legal keeping and take of trout where it's legal to keep and take the Audubon society basically it, it from from my perception is a conservation group conservation groups uh depending on which conservation group you're looking at some they they don't want anybody in the woods they don't want anybody near any wildlife whatsoever they're like you see wildlife, you treat it like, you know, like you just saw the light of, you know, some religious figure and you run the opposite direction and you don't even don't, don't breathe on it. Don't look at it. <laughs> don't blink. Don't cough on it. You know, uh, uh, that that's some conservation groups. Uh, but other conservation groups realize that, you know, our, our species been, has been here a long time. And so it was a lot of these animals and they, they, we've coexisted. It's just that now we're getting, certain populations and certain strains and certain you know genetic strains of animals that are are, are more tightly together so it's it, it's fascinating to me to 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 meet you and and talk to you about that that idea of i go out and i interact with the wildlife on multiple different levels uh, you know from the angling aspect i I love these fish and I love the habitat that they're in enough to want to make a concerted effort to protect them. But I also love and appreciate the animals that are around the habitats that I'm trying to protect enough to respect their entomology and their life and their habitat. And I think that that's such a, 
it's it's an incredible thing because so many other people it it, it almost turns into a war zone <laughs> you know the people are like oh that deer is trampling that let's shoot all the deer well you can't do that you can't because they're a part of that that ecosystem that 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 that, that balance of the ecosystem is there uh the owl you know, uh, uh, I think owls are awesome. I, I want to see more owls. We're finally getting good raptor rehabilitation in the West after they, you know, years and years of not seeing anything. We finally have nesting bald eagles hanging out and we have ospreys hanging out and we have red-tailed hawks and we have uh, kestrels and American, uh, all kinds of different, you know, species, great horned owls. I was driving home from fishing. There was one perched up on a wire. It's super cool. It's like, oh, wow, there's oh, that. I love those. Yeah, it's like perched up on a wire above a field hooting, you know? It's like, all right, cool. There's Mr. Hoot Owl. He's up there on the on the wire. I, I love watching them. Or, or, you know, you talk about like barred owls and you start talking to a barred owl and they'll talk back to you back and forth. And pretty soon you got like 15 or 20 of them in the yard and the kids are freaking out because they're like, are these <laughs> things? you know, uh, but, but that's what they are. Having that, you know, having that holistic respect for the wildlife, I think that's just so cool. I know we're 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 probably. But you have to have an open mind, though. And well, Brian, think I honestly didn't think that about myself with you, you, but because the Massachusetts Audubon was created because, you know, if you think about again, these like DDT, you know. Mm -hmm. Bitch Carson, like all that pesticides, right? Like two point getting raptors and eagles back. That was a big deal. But also you go, people used I think there was a kid's book by the Massachusetts Audubon. And it was like they were wearing dead birds on their heads. Like so many birds were hunted to extinction, just be feathers on people's heads. And the Massachusetts Audubon, wait a like two point, like, wait a minute. And I think to this day they're separate from the National Audubon because they're very powerful and they're strong but it, it's it is holistic right like and you, to me you can't you can't do that because you know you you can't you have to find that line but you have to accept that yes for someone someone or something to succeed something will be sacrificed mm -hmm. right but if you think about it to the greater good i you know and i think that's where people and even ourselves right like if you don't have that open mindset you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to see that balance right like i don't want to I, I don't want to shoot the deer but i will shoot them if i have to right like mm -hmm. i don't want to kill those green sunfish but i will if i have to i think it's just so easy to be polarized and say well killing animals is bad well yeah but you're gonna get caught in wasted disease which knock on wood i don't think jersey has had a confirmed case yet but they've said it's a matter of time mm -hmm. you know i mean you have to be able to be open-minded and be like, for the health of, for the health of the environment, like, you know, I'm sorry, like, you know, that that, that sick part of deer will have to go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not being, you know, for the other ones to survive and not starve to death, you know, you got to take 50 of them, you know. I think once you get beyond that and explain people why, that that 20 have to go so that 50 of them can survive, it makes more sense. But I can see where, to your point, if you're not as involved, if you're not as aware, you'd be like, oh my God, that, that's just horrible. Like, why can't, why can't we feed them all? You can, but then you're going to be perpetuating the cycle of starving. Right. I mean, it does take a different mindset. And I think I've been in it where, you know, my upbringing and also like me being open-minded has helped because, you know, it's also saved me from getting into pitch battles with people unnecessarily. But I agree, like compromising isn't a bad thing. 
you know, like there's always going to be some part of you, Brian, or you, John, that it is, I always say to people, it is what it is, right? Like you got to, part of it is not going to change, you know, but 25% of it can, right? Like I'm always going to love cats, you know, <laughs> you said cats are bad. I'd be like, you want to go outside and talk about it? <laughs> you know, but, but at the same time, like, I, I took my cat, my feral cat out of the backyard because I didn't want it killing those beautiful migratory birds that I have. And I realized like, if I didn't take that cat, it was going to get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. It, I, I'm open-minded enough to realize that I didn't just rescue that cat for the sake of rescue it. For a while, we weren't sure we were going to keep her. You know, but she's so sick. And I even said to the vets, I'll pay to get her better. She was thousands of dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. She was pregnant. She was a six-month-old starving pregnant kitten who was at every known to man. Um, I think she was literally living as a feral and got pregnant and was looking for a place to live. So we had to get her fixed. Um, had to get her deworm. But I didn't. I said to my husband, "I'm not just rescuing her because you know she needs rescuing. I'm rescuing her because all those beautiful evening ghost beaks, which are migratory in New Jersey. You know she's a hunter. That's her job. She would have killed them." You know, so, but I think it's, I, I think it's hard for people, you know, look, you know, you know, that cat has every right to be living outside. It does, you know, she might've survived if you hadn't intervened, but at the same time, you know, there were rare birds in my backyard. I would like to continue to see them. And so I had to make a trade, you know, mm-hmm. leave that, leave that cat alone and would have killed a bunch of birds, you know, or bring that cat inside and ultimately save his life. You know, so I, I appreciate that, you know, there is that understanding out there. And, and I think, you know, as long as we help people see that it's not such a line in the sand, mm-hmm. when people are like, it's a glass half full, I'm like, it's just a glass. <laughs> I'm like, why do you care if it's half full? Like, that is literally like when people start getting that arbitrary, I'm like, dude, Brian has a glass of water. Brian has a glass of Coke. I have a glass of Gatorade. It's a glass. <laughs> doesn't matter what it is but i think not everyone can think that right like you can let go of that a little bit you know it makes that conversation you know so much so that's why i'm glad you guys oh no here comes my cat i'm glad you guys brought me on the show come in um because i think it's, it's better for all of us too and i feel like I've met so many people and just knowing that there's other people out there who are like-minded, it does help you feel a little better going back to self-care. And it does help you realize that it's okay to be different, you know, because we started talking about the stereotypical molds that all of us have been, you know, being a a shed hunting, fishing, Asian American, right? Like there's not, I get it. (laughs) There's not too many of me out there, right? You know, and at the same time, part of me was like, why? I'm sure there's more out there, right? We just have to we just have to find this different group of people out there, you know. So I'm just glad we were able to we were able to, to find each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's super cool that that we were able to connect and uh, you know get together and and do a lot of really cool stuff because you know being able to talk and converse and and share. Uh, the experiences it, it, it that's that's why john and i do this so much oh there's the kitty <laughs> he's like dude i am out of here <laughs> check him out <laughs> uh, it's taken it's, it's taken me forever to be able to pick her up like so much stranger danger right like now they see us and it's, it's like, almost ah, like yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. So she wants, the joke is she likes to sleep on the bed with me, but it's on her own terms, right? Even if I pick her up and carry her up, she will jump off the bed on purpose and they get back. She's like, no, I have to do it my way. <laughs> you know, so I even said to my son, like, 13 pounds of squirmy cat, like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want her to be picked up, but I have to be able to grow up and not have her mommy to death. So mm-hmm. I try to pick her up when I can, you know, but you know, she's like, <laughs> but then she'll find me later and try to sit on my lap. And I'm like, really? This is all for show? And she's like, yeah, I'm just going to be like, <laughs> then she'll be like, hi. Well, uh, John, you got, uh, but we've dig- else? we've digressed. Yeah. <laughs> No, indeed. I, I just, Catherine, thanks so much once again for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure. It, it's been fantastic. Um, I, I just really appreciate all your thoughts on everything. And it's just so awesome what you're doing. So please, please go out there and keep doing it. it it's awesome. I, I love seeing it all through your Instagram and uh, I hope to continue to be able to stay in touch and hear all of your wonderful stories. So thank you so much for coming on here. Well, th- thank you. And I, I'd be happy to come back and do like, um, oh, I don't know, six months from now and see how many fish-ups I've taken out of my hands. You know? <laughs> that would be awesome. We'll do a, we'll do a, well, maybe, maybe we can go, you know, virtual shed hunting together. <laughs> I don't know how that would work, you know. Oh my goodness! But thank you again, guys. And I hope, I hope you guys have a have a good rest of your day. I know Brian, you work it early, so yeah. Thank well, you for that. Oh no problem. Well, you know, Catherine, like it, uh, I want to echo what John said. I really appreciate you coming on. It's just so fascinating. Like I said, just to kind of reiterate how how many different things you're doing, how much you're involved with, and and how much you're passion you have for the outdoors the fishing the shed hunting the wildlife you know really getting out there and enjoying everything to its fullest taking your son out you know really making this something that's that's visibly accessible it's just super cool and yes we will have you back on and to to continue on this conversation um you know i i certainly hope that for our listeners out there you go check out Catherine. Uh, she's under Lady Shed Hunter on Instagram. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, just go check out what she's doing. And and uh, something that I think Catherine is is really opened up uh, my eyes to is um, you know connecting with some of those local uh, groups, those local chapters of like the Trout Unlimited, the Autobahn Society. You know, uh, we you know John and I we're not like club guys you know uh, and i don't want to speak for john on on that subject because i don't think we've talked about it a lot i i know for myself i'm not like a massive club person i'm not like one of those people but but if if there's a way for somebody to represent their tu chapter like Catherine has represented her chapter today i think your membership would do a lot better because number one uh we're not, we're not getting this unapproachability. And, and this is more for the people here on the West Coast. I know we all want to protect trout and we want to protect steelhead and salmon and we want to protect the bank habitat. And even in the South, you know, we talk about John's favorite fish and river, everything else. If you guys could take uh, some notes here from how Catherine was to interact with, you guys could probably grow your membership about a hundred times bigger because 
if I was in your area, Catherine, I would join just based on you because that's, it's, it's nice to hear somebody that's not, you know, uh, uh, so stuck on one methodology of fishing. Uh, you're, you're inclusive. You understand that inclusion part. And that's probably the most important thing. You're, it's not a female, male uh, color or anything else. The fishing, fishing in, in outdoors to me is the great equalizer because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where mm -hmm. you come from. It has nothing, no bearing on it. And I think that that's something where, where yes, we, we do need representation from all ethnic backgrounds, all um, um, uh, races and, uh, you know, sexes and, and everything. We need representation across the board. But, but the outdoors doesn't care who you are. Uh, it, it'll, it'll eat you alive in, in, in five seconds. And it doesn't care um, that, that you like this or, or you prefer this or, you know, you don't like, you know, a mocha and you like black coffee, whatever, you know, the, the outdoors doesn't care. It's the, it is the equalizer. And, and more folks from everywhere need to realize that. And, and especially um, people that, that are, are thinking, well, this isn't for me. This is like the good old boys club. And you think uh, maybe a couple guys like John and I, you know, out there on the dock, <laughs> you know, it's like, why, why the hell am I going to go out there and hang out with these guys? You know, they're just, you know, a couple good old boys or whatever, you know, uh, but, but that's not the case. This is, this is fully accessible. So Catherine, now that I'm done with my long-winded speech, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And, um, just want to uh, make sure uh, if you enjoy these episodes, you enjoy these podcasts, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at Working Class Fishing. Uh, you can also find us at Working Class Fishing on YouTube. Uh, check us out both ways. If you have any show suggestions, make sure that you send us over an email at workingclassfish at gmail.com or go ahead and drop us a line over there on Instagram or even uh, make a comment on YouTube. So until next time, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here with us, Catherine. And uh, make sure you get out there and get some fishing in. So Thanks again, everybody. Hope you have a great one.